It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's her sister and her daughter. You watched it wrong. Hello, wrongheads. This is Wade, and you're listening to You Watched It Wrong. And I'm Siggy, and you're also listening to You Watched It Wrong. In this episode, we're discussing 2009's Big Fan, Robert Siegel's comedy drama starring Patton Oswalt and what you might call Taxi Driver Crashes Into the Tailgate Party. Now, I don't know about you, Wade, <laughs> but the way I watched it in 2009 is very different from the way I watch it here in September 2020. But before we start jerking off under the football blankies... <laughs> Let's have a bit of fun. Wait, that's what we're doing? With a round of track marks. Track marks. Here's how the game's played. Um, the One of us is going to read to the other, taking turns, which ones, is going to read the song title track names on a motion picture score soundtrack. Again, not the song, but for the score. Based on the context clues of those names, the, the contestant will need to guess what movie these time these song track na- title names belong to there's no wrong answers it's just guess when you till you get it right the game's not that complicated but it's hard to explain succinctly it is hard to explain because yeah. it's not named that tune it's not it's just i'm giving you clues until you get it right and that's it yeah right we're just okay. we're just reading off the soundtrack album yep that's right all right uh, okay who wants what, to go, I'll first? go first you go first i'll go first okay so i'm uh, so I'll, now how great so siggy this one, as you've, this, though I came up with the game, you put on the idea of having a par. So I'm going to, both, both of mine today are par sixes. Ooh, okay. All right. All right. So here we go. It's kind of low for track marks. Sounds high. Is it? It's kind of low. You always had a four or ten, if I recall. Well, <laughs> it's all over the place. Okay. No okay. Mind. Okay. So, so a lot of these are slashes. A lot, a lot of the ones I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, a lot of these have like multiple uh, ref- refrain titles within one track, okay? So just, I'll say slash, and there you are. So here we go. Okay. Right All on. right. I like that. Main titles that helps. That actually slash helps. terrorist attack. Oh. Opens with the terrorist. Well, this could be Aven- uh, Avengers Civil War that opens with the terrorist the, attack. The hand grab. Crossbones. This one is. Are we going in order? Are we going in track order? No, this one is, well, this one. <laughs> Near? Okay. This one could be in order. I forget. I think I may have changed one or two rounds. This one's generally right. in order. No, there's one. Okay. The hand grab. All right. no. I think of cliffhanger uh, All right. immediately. So there's one that's so out of place. Alone. There's one that's out of place, but I think the rest Grabbing of them are pretty a much hand. Um, So, so, so okay. main title slash Lots terrorist of attack. Grand hand, the hand, hand grab. Stuff. A horror yeah. at Shade J slash highball slash waiter Shade ablaze. J. Waiter ablaze. Wait, hold on. <laughs> um, I was thinking of Donald Sutherland as the clumsy waiter, but he doesn't catch on fire. He just gets his face in a cake. Right. In Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, waiter ablaze. Now that... Uh, Okay, wait. So I'm not sure how much again? the other think. ones are going to be helpful, but it's 
A horror at shade J J A Y. Oh. High ball slash high ball. Okay. Shay. Like a, like a restaurant. Oh, Shea. Like a, like a, like a Shea French, J. Like that, the, home the home of J. J. Okay. A horror at Shea J right. slash highball slash waiter okay. ablaze. Waiter ablaze. It is. That's a All distinct right. image, but it's not coming to me. Okay. He, he runs and jumps out a so. window. One, two, three. Maybe. That's three. All right. Wild cab ride. Okay. Uh, Night on Earth. Elliot. Um, Elliot gives blood. That's a movie sif. <laughs> okay, well, this should be waiter on fire. This isn't E.T. <laughs> they drank highballs. That's um, totally E.T. Tries to take waiter on fire. Elliot gives blood. Uh, hmm, how many like blood donor scenes have I? What's that um, vampire movie with Lance Harrickson? With Lance? Oh, Near Dark. Um, Near Dark. No, this isn't that. That's the only movie that's popping but in my head with a transfusion. You're in right. It, that is the the setting for that. A, well, a, a a blood donation. Sorry. Um, set collapse. Set collapse. Now we're talking theater. The Big Opera. Freeze. That means nothing to me. Lose arrival, L E W. I don't know if that matters. Lose arrival. Okay, another big. S- we have a Lou and Elliot and a J. Another another uh, big slash one. Asylum. Okay. Slash luncheon. Slash crematorium. Slash on fire. Uh, I know I've seen movies of crematorium scenes. I can't think of any right now. The next now. entry, fairy. Like uh, with wings with or wings. In, in water. Okay. Mm-hmm. Showtime at IBC. Uh, IBC. Uh, intercontinental ballistic <laughs> missile. Is this <laughs> Doctor Strange Love? I don't know what this is. Toast to Frank. Have I seen this movie? Think I don't you know. Have. Okay. I'm doing really poorly. Elliot stalks Frank. Yeah, I, there are some key things missing from these that I realize is the the big speech. I will say almost every one of this star's movies ends with a big speech. So I thought that was a big clue, but it's not really. <laughs> I would have thought you kind of figured something out. So the big speech, and then the movie ends with the song Joy to the World. Now, let me see if I can't go back and find more. Joy to the World? More uh, things by, I left by out. Three Dog Night. So we're going to go back. Main titles, Terrorist uh, Attack. Wow, I'm lost May, let's see here. I'm, I'm, now I'm gonna. Maybe this one wasn't so fair. This Brazil? Uh, no. No. How do you even score if I don't even? <laughs> it's like I. It's like I got rained out. All right. Oh, th- okay, that's well, what I'm, I was looking for. I'm. Um, I'm gonna remember fondly my hole in one on Starship Troopers. It's there you go. <laughs> the actual. Uh, the movie doesn't end with Joy to the World. It ends with a rendition of Put a Little Love in Your Heart. Excuse me. Oh, well, that's Scrooge, isn't there it? There you go. But that doesn't... There's a, <laughs> that's correct. There's a terrorist attack in Scrooge? Yeah, it opens with uh, The Night the Reindeer Died with Lee Majors. Remember? Oh. No, I haven't seen this since junior high, and I didn't like it. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. 
So the cab That's ride okay. is the ghost of Christmas past. The fairy is the ghost of Christmas present. The you know, oh, uh, fairy. Elliot is Bobcat Goldthwait, where he gives blood and then stalks him. Later. Yeah, so um, it's a great soundtrack. This soundtrack actually inspired a screenplay that Todd and I uh, wrote. Um, which is so that I've always loved this soundtrack. Oh. But, uh, which one? Sorry. Can you say the title? Vanity Unbound. I was, I was going to guess Vanity yeah. Unbound, but I didn't know if you wanted that name out there in the... Then why'd you ask? In the pod web. I was going <laughs> to let you say it. All right, thank you. Instead of me saying the wrong one. You know? <laughs> All right, hit me with something to, 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 to make up for that. Okay, all right. <laughs> Danny Elfman score, by the way. Very good. Oh. Second. Hey, buddy. Early you in bed? Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello, Deckard. Hi. He says hello, Deckard. Cool. Are you, are you giving me a hug, a hug good night? Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, I love you, buddy. I love you, too. Hi, Jeremy. He says hi. Hi. Good night. Jeremy says hi back. Good night, buddy. <laughs> quick, quick thing. Dex show. Dex become has become. I think Dex has got a crush on a particular YouTuber. He watches her all the time, and um, he he uh, uh, she was talking. She showed this video of a dog, of a pet owner. They said it was for kids, but then they said, but the, she said, I guess it works for dog. They showed a, a dog being a picky eater, not eating it when he eats dry dog food. He only wanted the wet dog food. Oh yeah. So what the dog, what the owner did was he brought the dog over to the plate and showed the dog wasn't eating the food. And so the dog owner, she took one of those giant overstuffed uh, floppy teddy bears and she put it next to the bowl and she showed the dog food to the teddy bear and the dog's watching all this. And the do- the, 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 she bent the teddy bear down to smell and then brought it back up and kind of shook its head. And then she beat it mercilessly with a wooden spoon. <laughs> While the dog watched in like confused in horror. Oh no! And then she turned to the dog and presented the food to the dog, and the dog ate it. No. And, and I'm like, that's so that's awful because you're showing the the capacity, you're putting that scarring in there, and I was so hurt. And, and this is how messed up I am because <laughs> I was so hurt by that fact. And then I turned to Dex and I said, "Oh man." We should have done that with you when you were two years no. old. And then I and, and I then I looked at him and, and I said, maybe that damn teddy bear would have finally eaten something. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you later, buddy. That's how me- that's <laughs> how messed up I am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand you know, any part of that video. Like, why do you have to convince? Why do you think you have to convince your dog to eat? Like, dog's gonna eat. <laughs> well, also because dog food is terrible. The dry dog food is terrible. It's barely food. Why? Of course, he wouldn't want to eat it. Well, it depends on what you buy. There's, yeah. We buy. Yeah, we buy quality. Uh, yeah. Quality kibble. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, just the thought that uh, that was just yeah, I, I thought that was psychologically cruel. Oh yeah, just, no, that's yeah. torture. I mean, how's it going to enjoy food? You know, right? Yeah, from then on out, it's like it's I better eat or I'm better eating out of fear is not how you're supposed to eat. No. So when that dog stomach burst from 
overeat eating <laughs> out of fear of being beaten. Uh, yeah. Uh, Sometimes okay. people's life hacks are really just scars. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's no phrase I hate more than a life hack. I hate that. It's basically called doing something or a method. <laughs> yeah. Process. Solving. Problem solving. Yeah. Right. <laughs> little tip. <laughs> the pilgrims had this great little life hack where they built ships <laughs> so they could sail across an ocean. What a great life hack. Yeah. Buckles on hats. It's just like another way you have to convince people to want to improve themselves in some way. Like adulting. Yeah. I'm adulting. adulting. You know. my, my other favorite thing about life hacks is when they say, check out this life hack, and they show you how something was made to be used. <laughs> There's this folded <laughs> piece of paper inside the box. It's called instructions. Yeah, here's a life hack. Unfold That's it. Great. Look That's for fantastic. the part in your language and just read that. Just read that. It's like they're telling you how it works. No more this trying to eat it. And it, <laughs> no trying to word. figure out the Google terms. All right. So please, Siggy, hit me with some vengeance. Okay. <laughs> All right. So do you want them ordered for difficulty or do you want However the order of the movie? However you want to do it. All right. I'm gonna, Whatever you think is. Okay. This one was a hard one to order for difficulty. I might have got it very wrong. Okay. So this is all jumbled up now. Okay. Track one. Oh, I set this as... It's a hard one to set par. I set as par 10, but this is for like a normal person. <laughs> okay. All right. Time of legend. Mm. Evil battle medley. Tank battle. Kevin escapes from barn. Oh, oh. I'm pausing for you. I, I'm. I'm okay. I'm gonna keep going. Time, time bandits. Yes, that's it. Oh, time bandits. <laughs> that was honestly just a guess because I think I've only seen that. I think half once I was a kid, and maybe I saw it in, all in college, and I was never really that big of a fan of it. Oh. So I need to do it again. Wow. Okay, it's on HBO nice. Max now. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah, cool. nice. Yeah. I, I I think what it was was I was scarred by the ending. And the I ending saw, is. Freaky, yeah. I just it freaked saw me out ending. as a kid. It didn't bother my kids at all. We just watched it recently, but it it really. I mean, I think they just see a lot more ironic, dark humor than <laughs> I did at their age. But right. well, I was younger than them too when I saw it. I was six or seven. Yeah, and I I I, I talk about the end all the time, and I talk to my son about it too, because as an example of like, you know. People, when people tell you that something is dangerous, there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried, at one point, I got tired of, of this thing and I tried to scare him. And I said, This boy grew up without his parents, which is what haunted me for the rest of my life. Watched his parents explode because they wouldn't listen. <laughs> and then Sean Connery winks at him, and I don't know who the heck that is because I've only seen the ending of this movie. <laughs> Oh, well, that's, well, no, um, no, that's what it was. The next track was, was Entrance kid. into Mycenae, yeah. where he is uh -huh. King Agamemnon. 
I can't the, remember the Scottish accent. <laughs> did he drive away before or after they exploded? After. Yeah, that's what nobody, really freaked me out as a kid. Nobody offers Kevin any help after his None. parents explode and his house is burned yeah. down. Yeah, that like, scarred me. What's going to happen like, to him now? Yeah. He gets to be free, I guess. My, and yet Snowpiercer, I had no problem with the ending, so who knows? <laughs> my, uh, I'm my, never consistent. My one sentence summary of that movie is, the greatest evil imaginable is being boring. And nothing is more boring than being uh, fussy with your possessions. Yeah. Okay, here's the yeah, second yeah. sentence. Any wor- anything worth having is worth blowing up. That's my two sentence <laughs> wow, review yeah. of Time, Time Bandits. Oh, 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 k- kind of Buddha-like, is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> that was a great one. Nice. Okay. Thank you. All right. Well done. Well shot. Yeah, I just... I, I, I kind of had the inkling from the first one, but I wasn't sure, and I didn't remember the boy's name, so I just took a... Took a followed my gut. Okay, so here's my next... The, your question number two. Again, probably a par six. Okay. Although, maybe easier. This is very stressful. I'm going to try not to say the first one the way it's said. Oh, shoot. Intonation yeah. game. Never mind. All right. Yeah. Sneaking All right, here we in. Go. A little crossover uh, here. First one. This is me. This is me. Granny, get your gun. Mm, Beverly Hillbillies, the movie. <laughs> Souped up. I mean, I am a Jim Barney fan, so that, that would stand to reason. So, Souped up. Okay. Cast of Cooks. Cast of Cooks. Is it soup yet? This isn't God of Cookery. Because mm-hmm. there's no... Is it soup yet? Why is there so many soups? Now, keep in mind, I haven't seen Big Night. Which oh, is no. Okay, I, all right. Not doing, I'm trying not to do the esoteric ones, I guess. Okay. The ones that only I love. Colette shows him the ropes. I, I, it's not ringing that, any bells here. That probably wouldn't. It wouldn't okay. if I hadn't just watched this recently. All right. Dinner Rush, A Real Gourmet Kitchen. Uh, I mean, Ratatouille? I don't know. Yes! Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> I was going to say that. You were one away from 100 Rat Dash. Okay. I, I, I and then anyone could cook. The was, final one The final one was in the Credituis. <laughs> <laughs> By Michael Guccino. Oh, right. Excellent composer, Michael I, Guccino. Uh, I don't have the credits ready. I should... I'm bad. Who did Time Bandits? It doesn't say here. Oh, um, I think... Um, Mike Moran. Moran? I wouldn't have known that. I think. I hope. His name's on here. Okay. All right. Here's our final one for the evening. I am going to read these in order... But I'm going to blank out the ones that I think would be the giveaways. Okay. okay. All right. So I'm setting this at par 15. Ooh. Put up on a coffee. We're going to be here for a while. We'll see how we go. Okay. All right. Um, track one is Overture. It has the title of the name in the Overture, but I'm not going to say it. Overture board. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's blank Overture. Okay. Track two, we're going to skip for now. 
I've already lost. Okay. Because if I told you... No information. It was right at the beginning. I think that would give it to you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now on to track three. Red Car Boogie. Library Hit. Sad Kong. Oh. It hurts him. It hurts him not to have it right here. Yeah. Wong Kong. That is Wong hi- Kong. That is hyphenated. Wong loses it. Gun Arsenal. Boatyard Battle. Yun and Kong. Motorcade. Ko knocked out. I, I've ch- I abandoned what I thought it probably was, and now well, go ahead and I say keep it. going back to it. No, it's not. Um, it's not Temple of Doom. It's not. It's not. Um, I don't know. Keep going. Ko knocked out. That's K O. I know that. Ko knocked out. Oh, K O knocked out. But I think it's a name. I'm not oh. sure. Uh, corridor creeping. Cutthroat. Body count. Okay, now I'm going to go back to track two. <laughs> okay, we were two tracks from the end. I'm going to go back to track two. Track two is Tea House Bust. Is this hard boiled? Yes! What? <laughs> Why wasn't I? Oh, God. Somehow I, I was only thinking Hollywood stuff as well. This is hard boiled. Sweet. Very good. Yeah, Tea House Bust, I would have got it like that. Yeah, right, I figured right. you would. I figured you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the totally last two right. tracks were Shirley and the Babies and Hospital Inferno. And Yeah, that, then that would have done knowing it. Knowing that was at the end, I think, would have done it. Otherwise, like if I had just done that, I was kind of. It's like, how do I rank this? I just put those three at the end, so I might as well just do this in order and right, 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 do right, it that right. way. That's awesome. I was thinking, like, if we were doing this like a game show, you'd have the board and you would see the track listing, like, yeah, Family Feud, and then you would ding, like, you would see, like, yeah. as things appeared, you could go from easiest or hardest to easiest, but you would see oh, where like they see are, them, where they are in the track, like, oh, visually in cool. the track yeah. listing, and then it gives you a little context to, yeah. Yeah, like where it comes in the movie, exactly. Not sure how to do that in a podcast. If we, uh, we could do it for ourselves. We but could I do it for ourselves. We, we could spend a lot of time describing where, what the board looks like. <laughs> <laughs> we could simulcast on YouTube. I don't know. Let's yeah. keep evolving. Let's keep evolving. It'll keep evolving. That's that's awesome. Well, that was track marks from the mind of Wade Carney. Little. Movie trivia, sort of guessing game. <laughs> but the next, uh, our, our, but we don't have to guess about what our uh, main topic is today. Our main topic is 2009's film Big Fan, which yes. Siggy's already introed. And uh, this, was, this was your s- selection for today. It was. I, too, had not seen this since 2009 when it came out. I was very excited to see it. Oh, time. good. Yeah. No, I hadn't seen it yet either. And um, it just it just popped into my head uh, recently. And I'll I'll talk about why um, watching it again. So the first time I watched it, 2009, I think my takeaway was, boy, this Robert Siegel guy. I mean, I kind of knew who he was. Onion, editor in chief, head writer, wrote mm-hmm. the wrote the wrestler. I was like, wow, he really thinks football fans are losers. <laughs> or sports fans are losers. But I'm watching it now. I'm like, this. I don't really see it as a sports movie anymore. No. 
No. Now, I have been a sports fan. It's been the first time I saw it. I was a huge football fan. I, I spent a lot of energy uh, watching the games and following the off-season stuff and week-to-week stuff. I, I was really into that. But you, Wade, to you, like, sports is a foreign country, right? Yeah. No, in, during both viewings of this, all the sports talk was literally just, I like I know they're in doing detail on stuff that I don't understand and have yeah. no connection with. But the movie still works for me mainly because of something Pat Oswalt said in a bit and I don't remember if it came before or after this movie. But when he was talking about how the sports well yeah no he no he was talking about religious fanatics and comic book people yes. being of the same mind. I love this bit. It's a great bit where he, you know, I'll drop it in. But like uh, where he's talking about how it's this, you know, the people saying, well, did, did Ruth begat this? And then just come down, turn into salt. And then it's the same thing as going, when did Wolverine join Alpha Flight? You know, the kind of, <laughs> kind of. Um, no, no, it wasn't until issue 11. Right. Yeah, right. But I had an experience uh, once when I was doing a job in Chicago where my job was to be in the audio and sometimes camera person for what we called live shots, which were basically talking head commentaries. Uh, we did them for sports news. Okay. And maybe I probably should bleep that out. <laughs> but it was a sports channel, and we would do these shots of the talking head coming live from Chicago, and you'd see we were shooting it in the vice president's office so we could out the window of our building so you could see the Wrigley building, like, behind... Mm-hmm. And so we'd always set up in his office. The person would come in, sit down, we'd wire him up, and he'd be on satellite talking to the uh, host in the studio, and they'd toss to him and toss back. But we couldn't hear, as, as the camera person, I was camera that time, if, if we were the camera person, we couldn't hear the other side. We'd just sit, see him there sitting there going... <laughs> Well, he's not going to let that go there. I mean, he's not going to. He's, his diet's good. He's not going to lay it four yards, get around, and then stop. <laughs> and the guy looked like, you know, whatever. And then I, I, watching him do that, I realized, oh, the comic geek and the sports nerd is the same person. It's just your level, what you're fanatical about is more socially accepted as being masculine. That's really it. You're mm-hmm. doing the same thing. You're, 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 you're making associations, you're, you're, you're piling all sorts of data and statistics to support why you associate so strongly with this thing, and then you adopt it as your identity. And like, that's why Big Fan spoke to me regardless of having zero connection to any, um, the subject matter of what they were talking about. Right, yeah, I can totally see that. Although it was funny listening to it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember all those players. I could tell you all their positions. Oh, I couldn't tell if they were fake they were people or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't know if they're made up for the I just knew the Giants were real and the Eagles were real, and that was it. Yeah, no, that was all, that was all pretty authentic, except for uh, Quantrill Bishop. That's, you know, obviously that's a fictional player. The, so, I mean, I just object thought, of, I don't know if Robert Siegel, Robert Siegel, right? Yes. I don't know if Robert Siegel is... If he's the NPR host, <laughs> I don't know if Robert Siegel is a sports fan or not, because this would be something where he could talk about any sort of fanaticism that, that he might hold or know people who do and just talk about it in a different field. You know, it's like how mm-hmm. Chef was Jean Favreau's 
talking about his experiences with working with studios, you know, and like it was really his, you know, experience work. You could kind of tell his frustrations working within a studio system. That's what gave birth to, you know, his character in Chef's kind of journey. So you could just say, okay, well, I don't, I don't know if he, I, I, so I have no idea. Do you know if he's um, involved in sports or not? I have or just no criti- idea. Critiquing it. Having um, watched the first third of Cruise, <laughs> um, his second and only other directorial oh. uh, endeavor, it's set in very much the same kind of neighborhoods, same kind of family dynamic going on. Mm. It makes me wonder. Uh, how much of this is like his lived experience and he identifies with these characters or this is observed, you know, based on where he, where he's from. Right. I, I really don't know just that so many of those details are, are repeating, not the sports part, but you know, the Italian American family, you living with the parents who disapprove mm-hmm. of the path you're taking and uh, right. very similar kind of observed details. Makes me think. Well, this is this is something he grew up with in one way or another. That's all I know. Yeah, the family. This second viewing stood out more than anything else in the movie. Then I did barely remembered the family. I didn't remember his brother or his sister at all. I just remember the sports angle of it from the first viewing. This time, I was like, the family was really what I was paying attention to the most. And I will mm. say, I think I've been watching it wrong. About halfway through the movie. I remembered my initial experience with the film was I liked it. I thought it was really good, but I also thought it was very meandering and didn't really, didn't feel structured. And it's I wasn't a sure padded. if that was, I wasn't sure if that was a benefit or, or a detriment. Yeah. And this time I was a halfway through when I realized, Oh my God, wait a second. I'm not paying attention at all to why s- scenes happen when they do in this movie. Okay. And I started to realize that I really, messed up <laughs> and i should probably watch it again i watched it last night about at two in the morning you let the movie down <laughs> yeah and i didn't yeah, i did and i wasn't like because for me and i am probably jumping too far ahead but there's a scene in it that feels like it should like it's supposed to be really important and i was having trouble figuring out why i felt that way and it's this and then they put i think they put it in the trailer because it's really the only joke in the movie they were trying to show it's Patton and he's funny yeah <laughs> Um, it's the egg roll scene. It's, well, no, it's the, it's the uh, soy sauce packet scene yeah. in the kitchen when, when he's criticizing his mother for saving all this, all the packets of, of condiments when, and never doing anything with them. It's, the, and, it's like the one... Well, it's one of the few scenes where Paul, Patton Oswalt's character, gets mm-hmm. to judge rather than be judged, right? Well, no, that's not true. Because he... I. I was watching him this time, and I, I, I was sensing we might have kind of a pledge-like conversation today, <laughs> because I was realizing that in both viewings, my sympathies were with Paul on many things, yeah. even though he was clearly, um, there were, I mean, the first line of the movie is, I can't tell you how sick I am, said three times said twice as he's like writing it. I oh, can't right. tell you how sick I am. I can't tell you how sick I am. I can't tell you how sick I am of hearing all this eagle crap, you know, going on and on and on. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, okay, so that is, that's communicating. We're talking about someone who's, who's troubled. 
Um, and the taxi driver comparisons obviously do that as well. But I'm like, or the reactions that compare it to taxi driver. But yet I could relate to him. But if you watch him, he's judging them through, like he, he immediately tells his sister, I don't want to work there. Right. At yeah. Costco or like, I don't want to work at Price Club. I don't want to do that. And, and, and like kind of attacks her way of life. And then the mom says, why don't you do that? And then he's criticizing her. When my, and one of my favorite lines of the movie is, was when he said, he's fucked his secretary. Like, uh, like your, your daughter was the other woman. And you think this is good? And then he sa- she says, don't say that word in the car. And he goes, which word, fucked or cheat? <laughs> and he goes, he fucked. And he cheated on his wife with, with my sister. Which one's worse, fucked or cheat? And I think that, that ingratiates us to Paul because he's like trying to see, I've got a principle that you're not acknowledging. Yeah, what's and, worse, and, him doing it or me saying it? Right, right yeah. him doing it or me saying it, right. And despite the hypocrisy he's pointing out. Right, but he does have an indifference to his family's feelings. But my, my, the thing that, I, that we're not shown is, and maybe we don't have to be, I'm not saying it's a fault, but we're not shown, has that been adopted because of their indifference to him? Or are they reacting to him because of their, his indifference there? Which one's, which one's first? Is it just the culture of this family? You know, that, um, because, because what, what the egg roll scene was telling to me uh, very clearly was that, as well as his rejection of what's considered a successful lifestyle, I don't want it, I don't want it, is basically saying that both the mother and the rest of the family and him, they both see each other's viewpoints as futile. What they both see what, what, what the other person values is futile. So he's uh, isolated in that family. And if I have one criticism, I think Patton Oswalt's really great in the movie. He is. He's fantastic. If I had a, if I had a one criticism, I'd be like, well, why doesn't he sound like the rest of the family? He doesn't have the same accent that the uh, rest of the family, the really thick accent he has. But then I go, well, that's more isolation. That's more, I think that was probably talked about, I would imagine, just say, like, that's how different he is from everyone else. Hmm. You know, it's kind of like when you hear Dana Gould talk about his family, even though he, you know, is clearly still, you know, loves them like a family he's like i am different from all of them <laughs> you know it's, it's like i am no one understood me so i mean th- i thought watch this movie and i thought a lot about isolate being isolated in a family and then finding the one thing that's your own and then like holding on to that and that's good but then this is taken to a very very unhealthy degree or is it what do you think well i for me this movie is about how if people don't have meaning in their lives, they're going to create meaning. That people need to have a source of meaning in their life. Well, that sounds like Under the Silver Lake in a way. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about it in a different way. Um, hmm. Maybe we can come back to that. Yeah, sorry, I didn't want to derail. Keep no, going. No, that's all right. Um, so what we established in the beginning, other than I feel sick, I feel sick, or I'm so sick, um, uh, I, is that, I can't tell you how it's going to That Paul's job is to sit in a booth and take a ticket and put it into a slot and then hand people their change. And, like, that's it, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's basically doing a... And to take abuse from people who can't imagine, 
who right. can't, who don't want to be paying such a, a high price. He's there in the off chance that someone loses their ticket or, or or something needs to be resolved. But most of the time, he might as well not even be there, right? And he doesn't want. It, it just feel, feels like like the most empty kind of job <laughs> I can yeah. imagine, right? Like <laughs> he, I'm not adding any value to what I what I, what I'm doing, <laughs> right? I'm not bringing anything to this. Um, so it's a security blanket, the fact in a way. What do you mean? Well, I t- I think there are two types of people who who keep not who work in toll booths, but who keep their jobs in toll booths, and that is the person, the little person who wants to feel powerful over something to like, I, I'm going to take something small that I know I can do and I'm going to throw my weight around. He doesn't do that. Paul doesn't do that. The other thing is, is, is someone who say like, I am isolated in a little booth, whatever I do during my day doesn't matter. But, um, but I have the security of not taking real risks, but I can be living a life of the mind and express myself another way without, that without my expression risking my income you know that's how i viewed it so it's funny that you say it's a life of the mind i mean he might see it that way but i think the movie invites us to to see that there's a distance between (laughs) uh where what he thinks his mental aptitude is and what it actually is right because his rants aren't even that creative it's not like like the first time he writes all this out, and then when you realize it, it's just like, yeah, they're gonna go so far, and that's yeah. about it. And you know, he says "proved" instead of "proven," like his grammar is right. not good. But uh, Kevin Corrigan being so impressed with his ability yeah. to express himself is, we, we kind of see that as pathetic. Kevin yeah. Corrigan's awful hair just really kind of adds to that <laughs> concoction. Yeah. By the way. And his Osama bin Laden T-shirt that he's wearing, yeah. dead, wanted dead or alive. Quick sidebar: Kevin Corrigan, I always love seeing him in anything. He's just like one of those guys who yeah. just keep doing your Kevin Corrigan thing, man. <laughs> like you know, like we t- we said about Michael Sarah, like Michael Sarah can just do the yeah. Michael Sarah thing forever. Like Kevin <laughs> Corrigan, like why you don't, why you want range? Like he's just gonna show up and be Kevin <laughs> Corrigan. You know, he could be dumb Kerry Corrigan, he can be smart Kevin Corrigan, but he's going to be the yeah. same. Basically the same guy. Uh, and that's fine. And we I always like, like him. Uh, I loved him in um, the sitcom uh, Grounded for Life. Grounded for Life. Yeah, I thought he was hilarious in that show. Anyway, I don't think we're supposed to be <laughs> see that job in the parking lot as, a, as comforting in any way for no. him, right? Well, no, but there's a he, he's... No, but he defends it. You know, he says, I have a job. That's what I, you know, I have a job. I have a job. And it's not comforting. It's isolating. It's, it's, he's, in the mid- he's, he's in a place where rats will run in front of him on a regular basis, as in the first shot. Nice. Uh, rat took a good direction there. That's good. Yeah. I'm good not sure if it was wrangling. a rat, but a creature ran. Yeah. yeah looked like a rat. But yeah, looked like a rat. I mean, it was good. Uh, I mean, that's what he, where he does under those orange sulfur lights. With a shitty radio and, and, you know, that's his an exhaust fumes and it's just awful. But it's also, there's, it's safe. It's a safe system he's bought, he's made for himself in a way. He doesn't have anybody telling him what to do. 
No one's looking over his shoulder. He gets to have his single-minded focus on the one thing that gives his life meaning, yeah. to be honest. I mean, he doesn't get any joy from his family. Uh, right. He only appears to have one friend uh, and is not interested in uh, having more. I mean, he's in a rut, you know, but he he's so fanatical on this one thing that that's what is sustaining him. Yeah. So the... I'd like to hear you as a sports fan how you how you view this movie uh looking at sports fandom as like how people identify with them like the people who root for teams because of the experience it gives them and then the people who say I am this team <laughs> how say we are going to win they right. are going to lose yeah and it's like and like believing that they um, are that the team is an extension of themselves to the extent that he goes to watch the game in the parking lot instead of in the comfort of his home <laughs> or going right. inside. Well, he's not, he's not he, in the stadium. He's not even, he doesn't know any of the other tailgaters, just the guy he came with. Right. But they're going to sit in the parking lot and run their engine for the entire three hours of the game. <laughs> Yeah, I I, I love that because it it shows the the arm's length that he is always with, with the thing that he considers is the purpose of his life and his identity. He can't even afford to participate as a fan with everyone else. He has to be in an empty parking lot with a radio. One look at Patton Oswalt and you don't think like, well, he ever enjoyed playing the sport. Right. Or any sport, maybe wrestling, there, maybe low center of gravity. And you do, and there is a weird sexualization they do with his poster. Okay, I want to talk about yeah. the role of sex and eroticism in this movie. Yeah, but um, but as a fan, do you think? Yeah, do you, do, well, sports yeah. fandom, it's definitely like there's a tribalism. I mean, it's it's tribalism. I wrote uh, my my high school um, final English paper we had to write an epic poem and so i wrote an epic poem about uh about the chicago bears um (laughs) trying to make the case that that football fandom was our form of participating in like tribal warfare uh, Mm. of old you know and and uh donning the colors was like putting on your war paint and there's a war paint it's a war paint scene in this movie and putting Mm. the 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 green under his eyes which before served for a couple it, of different before things. he goes undercover. Not, yeah, that that, but also the yeah the undercoverness of it. The the I'm putting on the face of my enemy. Yeah, <laughs> and going into the belly of the beast. So this was a. I wonder if this was a. Because this is like seems like it would be from the mind of Patton Oswalt. Just because I have listened to so much of his stand up, I feel like and interviews with him, I feel like I know more about the way he thinks than about the way Robert Siegel thinks, but he goes from Two-Face, where he's in the split personality, mm-hmm. <clears throat> white, uh, green, but then, like, when he's, like, next to Michael Rappaport, Philadelphia Phil, and he's, like, at his most sinister, he only turns the Joker half of his face. He goes from, yeah. he goes from yeah. Two-Face yeah. to Joker, when we only yeah. see the white half of his <laughs> face, and he looks at his most creepy. Yeah. I, I was I was thinking about that with the face paint. Um, I was also thinking. I figured he was making lots of Frank Gorshin references as well. 
I'll come back to the face paint though. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm jumping I, us around to it. I, I think you're, I think it's it. I think it's just like tapping into a real primal tribalism, like warfare by proxy. And it's definitely masculine, masculinized, even though sports doesn't have to be masculine. There's plenty of right. um, other ways to play sports um, or to be a participant in a sport uh, without being masculine. But I see this in, you talk about nerdery and overlap with religious fanaticism in comic books. I see it in gaming, too, because I, oh, yeah. I play, I mean, I happen to play a, um, a, a fantasy-themed football board game competitively. By the way, this is my last week as the reigning Chaos Cup champion. Uh, oh, The North American Major Blood Bowl Tournament, since I'm not attending this year due to covid Concerns, so I do not get yeah. to defend my Aww. title. Aww, but sorry. so there's, there's the nerd version of of football in this fantasy game. But other tabletop games, like it's uh, you definitely see it as a way for people to f- um, go on little power trips, mm-hmm. where they're not only they're they're like investing their worth as a person into whether they win or lose this game. Right. Even if it's just like a silly, silly board game, but you can totally see it. Yeah. And doing that with sports fandom where you're not only, <laughs> you're not just like enjoying the spectacle of world-class athletes doing incredible feats and, <laughs> or, or the drama of, of the competition and not knowing what the outcome is going to be. You know, just the uncertainty that comes with it that doesn't come with most forms of, of fiction. Yeah. Like, there's there's that way to enjoy sports, and there's, a, there's obviously the way to participate it. But the part where, like, you have to get into trash talking as if you have a personal stake in it or as if your right. personal worth is somehow tied up with it, like, that's where it starts to feel unhealthy. And I've definitely yeah. gotten caught up with it. And... I really had to start scaling my fandom back. I became more aware of it when I had my first child and realized, wait, if the if the Bears lose and I'm upset for the next two hours, he's gonna see that. Like, right? Yeah. What kind of what? what I shouldn't be that upset when the team loses. It doesn't actually <laughs> matter. I mean, I would. I would right. rather they win. It's fun. It's fun to, especially when you're in the city and like everybody, like you get the vibe where you see people wearing the same colors as you and like, hey, he's right. a fan too. And like, we're all excited together. Like you feel that energy. Yeah. Um, you know, when the Bears won that Super Bowl in 85, like there was a buzz in the air. Like it's like everybody was like so excited about that team that year. Yeah. When the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, I was, I was very happy um, as, a, as a lifelong Cubs fan. But I was really kind of depressed I wasn't in the city <laughs> to yeah. like share in that. I felt very lonely in that moment. I'm like, oh, the Cubs won. That's great. That's awesome. What a great game that was. Oh, wait. I have no one to celebrate with. <laughs> right. You know? Like just feeling, just having that, that communal feeling that comes with that is uh-huh. kind of special and in the stadium like where where that's happening when like 
60,000 people or here in Ann Arbor, 110,000 people all, all packed together sharing that is, um, I mean, there's really something kind of deep genetically that mm-hmm. calls for that, right? You feel it in, yeah. a, in a movie theater when everyone's laughing at the same jokes. Yeah, like Just like absolutely. it's... Or a horror movie uh, is is better in a in a theater for the same reason, same Way kind better. of, same kind of vibe uh, that you're tapping into there. But if you got upset, if you went to see a movie and you got like personally upset <laughs> that it was a bad movie, <laughs> you would be disappointed, <laughs> but you wouldn't like storm out of there and like, God damn it. <laughs> That Wes, Cra- that Wes Craven movie sucked. John Carpenter was again. You know, you wouldn't. I, I only did that once. <laughs> <laughs> I only did that once with uh, uh, Broken Arrow. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I was very embarrassed, too. We, uh, did we see that together with... Joel I think I saw. I think I saw it with no Brian Lutz and Anna Siri. I saw it with uh, Lucas and Darian. That's who, yeah. That's who I saw it at the Lincoln uh, Wood Town Center Theater, and I remember coming out of it, and I was furious at how bad that movie was. It really I was, was a bad. Huge John Woo fan. Yeah. Huge, and in my mind, I said, in my mind, I was thinking, he comes to Hollywood. They're ru- it's they they, I, I felt like you know like like Hollywood was was not letting him be, right? Mm. And so and like he made so much better movies in Hong Kong. And so I turned in rage to the party I came with and uh, outside the theater as people were coming out and I yelled, John Woo should go back to fucking Hong Kong. <laughs> And then I realized the people that I was the people that I was yelling at weren't my friends, but an Asian family. Oh no. And I felt horrible. Oh no. Because I, there was no other way that could be interpreted. Yeah. <laughs> and yet it was not what I meant in my mind. I know what you meant. <laughs> And you what? know what you meant. I knew what I meant, but I couldn't say, no, I meant right. because In a good he way. makes better films than Hong Kong. <laughs> Hollywood's the problem, not him. Look, he'll be happier, we'll be happier. Happier, it's all fine. So I learned to not get that angry because when I do, stupid shit like that happens. <laughs> oh, can I share something with you real quick? Yeah, yeah, do it. Now that we've derailed that, uh, I'm going to share my screen here. That Michelin web look. Can you you hear this? We'll put the link in our show notes. Okay, here we go. Hi, Ray. Morning, Colin. And before you say another word, of course I've noticed all the football stuff. Oh, right, yeah, of course. You're a Spurs fan, aren't you? Well, my family are. I'm not really into football. As I said last time, you suddenly remembered you were a massive Liverpool fan 20 seconds after they'd won the European Cup. Spurs, eh? Well, I'm going to let you off after what we did to you last week. I'm sorry? I said I'll forget that you're a Spurs fan after what we did to you. What? 
What you did to me? You, you didn't do anything to me. We're a man down, you fluke a penalty, but we wallop you with two in extra time. That 90-second minute, mate, oh, you had it coming. Perhaps you've mistaken me for a professional goalkeeper or something, but I wasn't actually on the pitch, you know. We're going to trolley you in the league. We? We? You weren't on the pitch either. As far as I know, you were in the back bar of the red line watching a game on the television with your mother. God, she can drink these days. But I'm telling you, Ray, the way we're playing, we're going to be unstoppable this season. For God's sake, shut up! Twelve points ahead with a game in hand. You don't stand a chance. We've got it in us to go all the way. Can I ask you a question, Colin? Do you remember when we were chasing the Germans and we were punched through the windscreen, but then we fell under that lorry, but climbed back onto it and beat the driver up? <laughs> what? When we were chasing the Nazis. They'd stolen the Ark of the Covenant and we were trying to get it back. You've lost me. In Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a film I like, so I've decided that myself and anyone else who likes it was actually in it, taking part. <laughs> Do you like Raiders of the Lost Ark? Not particularly. Oh, you're not one of us. Right, well, at the end, we're tied to a stake stuck in the ground, and then you lot open up the Ark of the Covenant and the wrath of God melts your face. No, you can't do that. Yes, I can. I really like that film, so I'm in it. <laughs> That's not the same. It's exactly the same. I've as much claim to be personally involved in Raiders of the Lost Ark as you've got to be in whatever it was your football team did last week. You don't understand football. Well, I'll admit, I don't quite follow how you, a man who lives over 200 miles away from the home ground of your chosen team, can claim some deep attachment to a bunch of overpaid, hired hands from all four corners of the globe who temporarily wear the same coloured shirt as you're currently wearing. But then, maybe I'm a bit slow. It must be brain damage from all that boxing I did in Raging Bull. <laughs> so, I, I remember thinking that at one point. And then uh, uh, thought, well, that might be forcing it into conversation a little too much. And then, sure enough, it came up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's valid. But it is deeper than that. It's deeper than just a basic delusion, you know. It is. I mean, it's a little more... It's like your champions. It's literally like, here's the champion for my village fighting the champions for your village on a field of battle, right? And it's yeah. nobody... There's no well, Spielberg and Lucas deciding what's going to, to happen. They have to... It's just a contest of, of wills and abilities. Right. Well, I think this movie would, would be the same... Could be the same thing and have the same effect if it was Patton Oswalt was a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he gets to meet Chris Evans. And he crosses paths with Chris Evans. And he, pisses, he does something that makes Chris Evans feel violated... Who, and Chris Evans would never do this, but he puts him in the hospital. And then Chris Evans... He witnesses Evans Chris Evans in a drug deal. Yeah. <laughs> and then Chris Evans suddenly is possibly might be canceled and not put in uh, the next Marvel Cinematic Universe movie. This is, of course, pre-Endgame. Uh, this, would, this would happen. Uh, and then he feels responsible for the tarnishing the thing that he loves and identifies with so he doesn't press charges. I mean, it's the same, kind of, the same kind of thing. So here's where I think it's different. Okay. Patton Oswalt, sorry, Paul, um, Paul, in the movie, yes, he's focused on his fandom for the Giants, but he's just as motivated, if not more, by his antagonism of the Eagles. The part of the movie I kind of struggle with is he, he gets attacked. Everything up to the attack in the strip club, I think, is great. 
Uh, I love every beat of it. The attack in the script, that whole sequence, I was, I, I was like, I'm not sure I could watch this part again. Oh, it's so, it's so painful. It's so painful. I just wanted to. I knew it was going to happen. I still wanted to sink into my couch, you know. Yeah. Like hide my eyes. It was so, so squirm-inducing. His, 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 his need to. Say, it was one of the few times where he said the thing that you shouldn't say, and you go, Why would he say that? Why would he say he had been there and been following him? But then you, you, you know how much he wants to associate and say, I'm having kind of the same experience that you're having. Yeah. That I even went there with you. You know. So that whole part you said was perfect. Well, up to that was perfect. And then what? So then it kind of meanders a little bit. Oh, you were talking about the, the, the scene and where it's placed. So he's in the hospital bed. He wakes up. He finds out what's happened. Quantrell's been suspended. When the detective comes to talk to him, I expected him to make up his mind right then he wasn't going to press charges. No, no, it it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Deny, deny, deny. Mm -hmm. And it takes, like, we have a whole montage to a great song. I forgot to look up who who the song was. Mm. Of him, like, trying to figure out what he's going to do. Deciding, is he going to talk to the detective? Is he going to press charges? Is he going to drop the charges? It seemed it, it felt artificial, like for the purposes of getting to a feature length movie instead of a long short of him like taking that long to decide. But what I think is meaningful in it is what makes him finally make the decision is hearing Philadelphia Phil on the radio. Yeah. Right? And like that's when he's like, No, that I can't I can't let the Phillies win. I can't let Philadelphia Phil be satisfied. I have to get Quantrell back on the field, so I'm not going to yeah. talk to the te- detective. And it's that kind of, he needs that enemy to, to focus on and to animate him in a way that you don't get with other kind of fandoms. That is true. You know, I didn't think of it as much of that, although now that, I'm, now that you say it, I think that that's much more the case. But what I saw Philadelphia Phil as being for him is like, is like his family doesn't get him. His family um, berates him for, uh, for who he is, he feels. And so he quietly has... Because the, the question I kept having was, if these calls were so important to him, why didn't he tell his mom, hey, I'm going to be making a call between 11 and 1. Please don't interrupt. Right, but because he didn't want her to know he was doing it, because it was like this is mine, this is mine, this is my thing. I get to talk to, I can be anonymous to a. I'm just Paul from Staten Island. I'm not Paul Ferriero. I'm a Paul from Staten Island, and I can talk to a world of like-minded people and 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 tell them how I really think. But I'm obviously like Facebook. I'm going to manicure the hell out of it, right? To, to to so I can look good and powerful, and I'm going to do that. And then Philadelphia Phil comes in and tells him he, he's a piece of shit, like his, like his family does. Yeah. And then Someone's, he pushes... Right. He's intruded in the echo chamber. He, he's intruded into the echo chamber. His parents is forced to... Uh, his, 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 and there's no dad mentioned in this movie, so we don't know if that was intentional or what, if that's important or not mm-hmm. to why there's no f- paternal presence here uh, and what that might have meant to him. He feels isolated by his family, so he goes someplace where he feels like he can be accepted, and then Pennsylvania Phil starts isolating him again. 
yeah. Pennsylvania Phil, Philadelphia Phil. And so he's got to push back, not in my world, not in my world. And that's the dangerous part. And then the, the real, and, and when I was talking about scenes being placed, that egg roll scene happens right, and at the end of that scene, he finds out his brother filed a lawsuit anyway. Oh, right, right. And he comes in and goes, what are you doing? And then in one of the most heartbreaking and pathetic moments is when he's trying to tell him, you have no right to do this. And the brother, who is his own racist and financial motivations and honestly um, denigrating motivations to his brother, all three of the, all these totally awful thing, motivations, he's still kind of right that like he beat you up. And you should stand up for yourself. It was unnecessary. Yeah. And and yet he he but he's coming at it from a racist, <laughs> uh, terrible brother point of view. Uh, and I love that because then you got the guy who's like, no, this is my world. You have no right to take away my rights from me and speak for me. And then his but his justification is, I was bothering him. <laughs> <laughs> that phrase that got me because you know what. I feel that way on so many things when it was like, they had no right to do that. I'd be like, but I was bothering him, <laughs> you know? And so I totally identified with him in that moment and it was pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get away, uh, too far away. Because, you know, the other thing that I want to think is the whole I don't like root beer explosion. Because don't tell me how I should feel and what I should do. You know, everything is like an invasion of telling him how he should feel and what he should do and what he should want. Yeah. And he's like, no. And then um, the fact that he's humiliated in his area, um, in his secret special world by his mother and then by Game Dog, was it? Uh, sports Dog. Sports Dog. In front of Punks, in front of Punxsutawney Phil, in front of Phil. <laughs> I can't get this right um, is the last straw so do you and, uh, yeah I think it's funny like the root beer thing he's like I don't have to like these things because I'm a grown up he says while throwing a tantrum yeah you know? <laughs> <clears throat> the way he decorates his room is, is like this, yeah, he, it's these haven't kid. changed since he was a kid these are the very no. same He's got the frameless glory poster of Quantrell Bishop on yeah. thing. That's one of the things I, I think is Siegel does so well in this movie is getting that tone of Paul is right that his family are a bunch of losers and really like shallow people who yeah. aren't necessarily living happy lives. But they're also right that Paul should be trying to do something like what they're doing. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> you know, like take- he should try to grow up. Yeah. He might be Take more for, successful than them at it, but he should try. Right. Take that example of his brother's television commercial on the burned DVD that doesn't load, <laughs> which I thought was a fantastic detail <laughs> that I've not seen in any other movie. Uh, this takes a while to load, and then it comes on, and how that, that thing comes up. And like, yes, he's successful. He's run his own business. He's taken that initiative. That is, that is admirable, but it's also embarrassing the way he's... Dis- right. Like, He's displaying his level, and that—that that is something where, like, like Pat, you can tell how Paul could look at that and go, "You're showing yourself to be a cheap, like ambulance chasing loser with this, right?" I hate using the word loser, but like he—that's how he sees it. But yet, yeah. while that's the same 
thought I had watching it. He's also created a business and got a career and, and got a house. And, and then you look at all the things, and I, I, I don't want to say anything like this, but, I mean, the casting of his wife is a great choice with, the, <laughs> with like, showing the, um, the, the opulence of ha- having this woman with a chest out to there and always exposed. Funny, but also- uh, funniest boobs since, um, <laughs> <laughs> since Best in Show, I think. <laughs> Rested of Helpman, I think, has one too. Oh, what? Uh, <laughs> shoot, what's the actress's name in Best of Show? Oh, Jennifer Coolidge? You Jennifer about? Coolidge, yeah. Right. It, um, I think it was Stephanie Zakariak, who I don't know who she writes for now. She used to do Time Magazine, I think. <laughs> um, wrote that Jennifer Coolidge is, or even her cleavage is funny. <laughs> and it's true. It's true. It totally yeah. is true. And, and that's a credit to her. <laughs> but this uh, um, Serafina. Uh, yeah. Serafina Fiore. Yeah. Uh, as soon as she walks on screen, I'm just laughing yeah. at her chest. The cut to it is just like, oh, wow, that is hilarious. And then I was like, who is she? Because she's only been in one other movie. Uh-huh. And she's like a nightclub owner. She like runs like New York hotspots. And in uh, other photos I saw of her, like that's how she dresses. Like that's just, right, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if she needed any. <laughs> So Any maybe pointers maybe we, there. Hopefully, hopefully these were compliments because it really was. It was wonderful, and also the the cake with the photo print of Fifty Cent's Get Rich oh, and Die yeah. Trying. Yeah, it's was, was like oh my god, just the. He's going to fucking it, it, freak. He's going to fucking freak. Yeah, and it's like a little, so like all the inappropriateness of everything is amplified for Paul to say, this isn't right. This is what I don't want. And we feel that with him. And that car ride then is, a, is another great example then of the mother who's right. He should take some sort of charge and try to take a career seriously and try to make something of himself. But then again, the phrase I was trying to come up with earlier was it, uh, what the mother sees as essential, Paul sees as futile. And what Paul sees as essential, she sees as futile, as yeah. does the rest of the family. It's like, this is, it's, it's stupid. What are you doing? You know, why, why do you care more about this football team than, than your own physical safety? You know, here you got the guy coming in trying to push his own, getting, getting his own commission and probably even a little bit against, uh, get his, uh, some against uh, another race that he looks down on, while at the same time celebrating that race by putting him on a birthday cake. <laughs> um, his line that got me was, "How do you get a concussion when you got no fucking brains?" That was a great line. It was a great line. Uh, so I, yeah, the the to me this was all. It was almost even less about fandom as about the family isolating you and you finding an identity. And when that identity is threatened, and that's all you have, then you 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 can take you can kind of go a little a little off the rails. <laughs> But then when he goes in that belly of the, the, going into the belly of the beast, that was a really effective tense scene. Because you don't know like what he's going to do. Like, what is going to happen? And, and I'd seen this movie before. I <laughs> forgot it was a pink gun. Oh, yeah? I remembered it as being a real gun. I remember, I, I remember it being years. a trick, but I didn't remember it was a pink gun. I just thought maybe he was going to go click, click, click and do that troll thing of, look, I threatened you and I made you scared. And now right. I'm going to make fun of you for being scared at the threat. Right. I took your manhood. I took your manhood. Eagles suck. 
But it was interesting to see. To, to, there was a pointed reference in that scene when there's a lot of... Some things are heavy-handed, but some things are, are still effective. When he, when he loops like TV audio over something, when something's happening, like when he walks out the door to go to Philadelphia, you hear the TV say something like, he's never to be seen again. You know, <laughs> I something like that, that as he's walking out. And then um, my favorite one of those, though, however, was when is in everyone starts yelling, Eagles, uh, Giants suck, Giants suck. And you hear the news reporter saying, here in the city of brotherly love, <laughs> Giants suck, oh. Giants suck. I was focused on Michael Rappaport <laughs> doing the little uh, um, syncopation with the dick, you know, or was he a dick or cock, right? Like he sexualizes oh, right. it. <laughs> he sexualizes it. And 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 homophobic and and right does, and, and what's meant to be in a masculine the, 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 way, right? Uh, right. I think Pat Oswalt's it it reaction and laugh to Michael Rappaport's keep saying we're going to murder them, murder yeah, them, mass murder, murder them, and he's like mass murder, mass murder, and like his reaction to that is is so amazing. You could again. You could say to have someone do that because on the nose, but just him just shaking. It's like I can't believe he's saying this, and what's about to happen. But getting back to one other thing, though, um, you were saying something you weren't sure. You know why he he took a while to decide what to do, and that was in service of him hearing Punxsutawney <laughs> Philadelphia Phil part of Pennsylvania say that and then make the decision then. What I think is the best reaction in the movie, the best quiet moment of performance but in the movie is this one thing that then follows a thing I'm not quite sure what is actually supposed to be. It's the moment when he tell after he tells the cop that and it says charges are dropped. And then it cuts to him in a restaurant where he's wearing a button-up shirt. He looks like an adult for a change. And he's looking. He's at. The, he's looking at the newspaper, and it says Quantrell reinstated to play after charges are dropped. And Patton Oswalt looks up, and his smile, his pride, that he feels in that moment mm-hmm. of I did it. I got the. I I saved the team. I made the right choice. Um, I made the right choice, and then immediately, his head starts to throb. And he gets a sharp pain, mm-hmm. and we hear that high-pitched squeal. And he's like, ah, and then he's on the couch, and everyone's telling him, what are you doing? Don't you have any respect for yourself? Like, why are you? Someone talk to him, and his mother says, no one can get anything through to him. He's not going to listen. And, While she does her Sudoku. And to, uh, yeah. So what do you think, what do you think the, the reaction he had after reading that and then having that pride. What do you think that that high-pitched, the pain, the, 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 head, the headache attack, what was that I don't know. Um, supposed to be? I'll admit, I didn't give it too much thought. I should have. It didn't strike me at the, at the moment. I don't know. I, I think I was really thinking in that scene with the family about, I really like the script. I think the, the tone that he achieves is great. Mm. Robert Siegel doesn't know what to do with his camera half the time in this movie. <laughs> well, there's scenes, there's scenes that are mostly with the, the family that are just so awkward. Mostly the editing, actually. But and do you know who edited it? 
No, who? Someone is listed as the co-producer and the editor, and it's Josh Trank. The Should I know that name? The, he's kind of become infamous. I don't want to speak too much on it because I really I wasn't there. I don't know. I didn't really read him too much. But he he made a movie called that got big response with Chronicle, and then he um, directed the new Fantastic Four movie. And as the story goes, he was too on, much on control substances and over his head and it got taken away from him uh, and he was all lined up to do the next Star Wars movie and um, he lost that job because of his not showing up to set on Fantastic Four uh, yeah. not showing up on anything so he kind of fell from grace there um, and he was like the new it boy and then he, he kind of fell um, I don't know too much about it Okay. And probably everyone out there listening probably knows a hell of a lot more than that, so I'm not going to say much more on it. But I w- when I saw his name, I went, "Oh, oh my God! Ooh. Really? Meteoric rise and fall from yeah. editor. I'm big fan. <laughs> but I, I love the cinematography in the movie. I love the way it looks. I like the look I love a lot. Yeah, I love it's it's in a it's been hit by a it's like the Hill Street Blues. The film yeah. got hit by a truck in a puddle. Yeah, you know, kind of saturation and shot on digital um, apparently really well that's it wasn't apparent to me um that's what i read yeah, it wasn't apparent to me either uh it would probably have to be in 2009 to be such a low budget movie but right. it was really well well done i i um i did wonder because i'm gonna bring it up if you don't mind go for it i love i, I i'm fascinated with the movie the founder and i've been dying to talk to someone about it okay. The founder was also written by robert siegel I just now found out that Siggy here has seen The Founder. Yeah. And a, a movie that I've been considering offering for this podcast. This is funny because this I've, is exactly where I was going to bring it up because it's another really? a, a movie written by Robert Siegel that was ruined by the editing for me. <laughs> yes. So, and I think, I often wonder if The Founder was, would be better if it was shot more like Big Fan, actually, <laughs> um, in, in, in a way that it gets, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I have nothing to support that. It just, I just thought of that right now. But the founder is directed by John Lee Hancock, someone whose scripts I like, but whose directing movies I don't. Well, no, I take that back. The, movies he, the only one movie he's directed that I have not seen is The Blind Side. But he directed Saving Mr. Banks and The Founder. And the thing about those two movies are they are both subject matters that I that I not only want to be movies, but also would be movies I would make. And he makes choices to talk about things that I think is what needs to be talked about. However, both those movies don't work fully for me. Like The Founder works better than Saving Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. Which I haven't but Saving seen. Mr. Bank- Saving Mr. Banks, to me, has a huge... Well, one of its biggest problems is that it's been released by Disney. And I don't think they can... The thing about Saving Mr. Banks that really bothers me is that there's some fascinating stuff in it. But for a movie about PL Travelers, and it's, we- it's beautifully cast, and there's the scenes where they're in the writer's room having, trying to write it, work everything out. Those are the best scenes, and I would have been happy if the whole movie took place there. But I know that PL Travelers would hate Saving Mr. Banks as much, if not more, than she hated Mary Poppins. <laughs> um, because basically Saving Mr. Banks says... Well, you hated Mary Poppins, the movie, because it did all this stuff. It did everything. Walt Disney did everything that he told you he wasn't going to do. 
and that you said, I won't let you have it unless you don't do these things. And then he did them all. And she had to let it because she was broke and she needed, she gave up the one thing she didn't want to give up, which was movie rights to Mary Poppins. Oh, but she was. This broke. is like the founder. <laughs> yeah. And so then Walt Disney says, don't worry, I won't animate it. And then he puts in cartoon penguins. And she's like, what are you doing? You said no animation. It's just a sequence. Don't worry about it. And then he goes, I'll do this. It's just a this. It's just a this and changes everything about it. And then in the end, she has to accept the movie. And the movie's point of view seems to be, well, we all love Mary Poppins. So obviously this was the right decision. Mm -hmm. And that she just had daddy issues she needed to get over. When to me, it was like a rape of your art. And that was your movie. And that because finances being what they were, your life is more important than your art, and you just kind of had to take it. And it was a tragedy. The, to me, the movie is a tragedy, even if Mary Poppins is a great movie. Yeah, I love those penguins. Yeah, I love the penguins too. But the movie takes the point of view of, and I, I do believe the movie takes the point of view, that the penguins are awesome, so it was the right decision. Right, so he did right by her. <laughs> he did right by her. Because it's something we already love. Yeah. And that's what's wrong in our goddamn country right now, <laughs> in a way. And so the founder, I think, does a much better job of focusing on these moments of showing the rise of the... We'll get into that later, hopefully. So you bring up... Because like basically... But still, there's something not quite right. And I couldn't figure... I, I have not been able to figure out what it is about the founder that I don't go completely gaga about. Because there's so much I like, and there's so much I love, and so much I think is important. But I just don't, it's not there yet. And I yeah. didn't know if it was the director, but maybe you're right. Maybe it's the editing. The editing, the editing was driving me crazy. <laughs> I mean, I think part of it, I thought, I thought the script of the founder was great. I thought the direction was okay, it except it obviously, what's his name, Hancock? Like, if he could have just John committed to his vision and not had quite so much coverage, then the editor couldn't have gone so apeshit with it. Right. But it was right. like the joke that we quoted in the uh, Oscars episode where Bohemian Rhapsody didn't win for best editing, it won for most editing. <laughs> and it's just right. like, you don't need to fucking cut this much. Your story's not right. that boring. Like, don't be so scared yeah. of me losing interest where I need five angles of him taking a mixer out of a trunk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's scared of that it's it's thing is too uncinematic but it's like no it's it's a good story it's, it's yeah. a good story it just and and i yeah yeah and maybe i think it's maybe part of the direction too is it just wasn't you talk about this in saving mr banks it, it sometimes felt like i wasn't confident the movie knew its point of view on this guy ray Kroc. Mm -hmm. you know the founder of mcdonald's i thought it did handled like his character turns really well at some points and the movie really gets caught along in the momentum of him on this drive to make mcdonald's as big as it can be right yeah. he has this vision this is something that could be coast to coast in this country what are the obstacles i have to overcome to make that happen and so yeah. that's one of the good things about it is that you get caught up in that with him and then you and then you are reminded from time to time of how awful it is, what he's doing. Yeah. Right? See, I, I actually like the fact that at one point in the movie, it almost seems to be a pro-Ray Kroc movie at one point. Yeah. And, and at that point, that's the point where it is, is, that, is the point when 
he's starting to realize that rich corporate people are the wrong people to own these franchises. Right. It's when he goes to the place managed by the rich people and he sees that they've got corn on the cob, they got a jukebox, they're offering different stuff, and he's like, like he believes that they're in lazy the process. People, yeah, you know? he believes in the process. There's like he he yeah. he, he for, first and foremost he's just like the name. That's it. And then, well, he, the but then he looks at what the what the um, McDonald brothers did, and which that shouldn't have been in the trailer. By the way, they put that in the trailer. What? Which I hate. They put the moment in that the, at the end of the trailer where he goes, "I just had to have that name." And he goes, "You don't have it." And he goes, "You sure that's about in, that?" That's in the trailer. It's in the trailer. It's that's the left terrible. hook of the movie. That they can't. Right. Oh, they put that's the end. That's the that's the climax of the trailer. Oh my god, it's awful. That they did that. Yeah. To the point where the movie deflated was deflated for me because I'd already seen it. Right. And I knew it was coming. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a big mistake. Oh yeah, the God. left hook of the movie. It's like, the, like how the trailer for Ransom showed that Mel Gibson's character put a bounty on the Ransomers. And you're like, well, that's the, the whole thing of the <laughs> movie. What are you doing? But yet, um, what was I, what was I uh, uh, saying? Oh, my, my favorite part of it is when he marches onto that golf course and shows him the burger that's got tomato and lettuce on it. And he's going, what the fuck are you doing? You're, you, really? This is what you're doing? It's not this. It's supposed to be one dollop of this and shredded. What are you doing? And you realize his passion for the system that someone else created but that he believes in quite a lot, you know. And then, and then realizes, no, you guys are gone. You're out. And he focuses then on immigrants who are coming looking for opportunity and then says, these people will fall in line because they're grateful to have the opportunity. And mm. it's lovely because it's like, what a great thing he did for people. Right. But also, he didn't really do it for them. He did it so they wouldn't kick. <laughs> <laughs> that they would fall in line. It's awful. And, yet, um, and then the idea that he's not in the restaurant business, he's in the real estate business. It's all fantastic, really chilling and, and brilliantly um, realized and yet for some reason I, I, the movie doesn't have the power that it should have and I don't know why because Keaton is fantastic both Nick Offerman and John Carroll oh, what's his John Carroll Lynch everyone's awesome yeah cast is great cast is great BJ Novak's awesome Patrick Wilson's awesome the only thing I don't really care about it is is him the part where he I mean I see why thematically it works where he leaves his wife and takes the white Patrick Wilson's wife mm-hmm. why she is gravitates to him and I love Linda Cardellini so much but I don't know why she my I don't know why, that that part didn't work for me my favorite of Don Draper's affairs from Mad Men <laughs> but you know to me. There was an incredible cinematic journey made, or credit narrative rather, not really cinematic, but narrative journey made with the fresh ice cream conundrum, you know, in The Founder. Yeah. How, like, the refrigerator cost was killing them. You got to do something about that. And the pushback of, we make real ice cream shakes. And then when freaking, you know, Ray Kroc sends uh, the McDonald brothers a care package of the strawberry. Yeah, uh, freeze dried thing. He's. It's just. Oh, it's so cruel. <laughs> when Linda Cardellini 
prepares the first powdered milkshake yeah. for him, and you get the mm-hmm. shot of her cleavage behind the straw, like the straw is <laughs> going between her cleavage. Right. I laughed right. out loud about how bad that choice was. Yeah. Yeah. That was. Yeah. That's, that's not good filmmaking. It's not good I filmmaking, Hancock. That, I remember that scene. And it sticks with me when I think about the movie, but in a bad way. I like the eroticism of the straw and everything. That was great. Yeah. You didn't need to That's throw funny. the boobs in the background. Not funny boobs. It made me laugh out loud because it was <laughs> bad. Bad boobs. It was bad funny boobs. Whereas, hey, funny boobs in the in the big fan really worked. <laughs> I'm a big fan uh, of those. But boobs. yeah, so 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 the founder is a real conundrum for me because I love it and I love that it exists and something doesn't work. I really need to get to the why. Well, is that going to be his whole episode? Stay tuned. We've kind of got into a little bit of it, so a lot of it here, maybe not. But, uh, yeah, it's, I really I want to watch it again because I'm not prepared. I didn't get to see it. I didn't know that you – I didn't see it again. Well, I hate to change the subject, but um, yeah. over here in Ann Arbor, Rudy awaits my foundation. <laughs> okay, so we'll get back. <laughs> let's take a quick break, and we'll return to the big fan. Sports Dog here on YWIW The Wrong. Time to go to the phones. On line one, we've got Rodney from Queens. What have you got for me, Rodney? Uh, the roughs these days. I try to ruin the game, you know? No respect. I watched the game last week. Cameraman got rough on the passer for an extreme close-up. They got this penalty now. Host collar tackle. Pull a guy down by his collar, get 15 yards. Ref came and saw my act. Fly me for 105. Now, I'm not trying to say refs have bad eyesight, but one of them stole my wife. But hey, they're not all bad. He kept her. That's it. Call's over. Hope things turn around for you there, Rodney. Let's keep the calls rolling with Jerry on the Upper West Side. Give us some sharp observations, Jerry. What is the deal with the catcher on the Dodgers? Kershaw's throwing it right at him, 90 miles per hour. Why isn't he dodging? If anybody had the excuse to get the hell out of the way, it's the catcher. And the Dodgers. All right, he makes a great point. Lots to contemplate there. Now we're going to go to the long distance line. Calling in from way out in Indiana, Jim, you got any food for thought? I'm moving a little slow tonight. I uh, just watched the Rockets get stomped by the Lakers. Hot Rockets! I've never watched a Houston Rockets game and thought, I'm glad I watched that. I go, they're going to die. Did I watch a basketball game or rub the last two hours on my face? Face Rockets! How'd they come up with the Rockets roster? Was a bunch of execs at a GM meeting saying, Johnson, give me something. Let's fill a basketball team with a bunch of tiny people. Pocket Rockets! Sounds like a sexual disorder, doesn't it? Listen, Bobby, just because you're small doesn't mean you can't score. That's really true, though. Different strokes for different folks. I read an article. They're going to put Houston Rockets inside the Houston Rockets. Oh, it plays just like Houston Rockets. It's the Houston Rockets inside the Houston Rockets. Plays just like it. I'm going to go stick my head in the microwave. Hot Rockets! When they mail you your playoff tickets, they should put a warning on it. Warning! You just bought Rockets tickets! Hot Rockets! It does come with instructions, though. Remove from envelope, put directly in toilet. Flush rockets. Should come with a roll of toilet paper. Diarrhea rockets. How long is this guy going to talk about the Houston Rockets? This guy's dumb as hell. I don't know who's on the other line there, Jim, but I think I agree with them. 
Let's keep it rolling out there in the Midwest. We've got Jack from Waukegan on the horn. Jack, you're on the air live. I said you're on the air live. I'm thinking it over. Well, that's perfect timing for us to take a break. You're listening to YWIW The Wrong. Back in a minute. When we're back. Wade. Yes. You were talking before about how Paul, he just doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. He knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. The giants make him happy. Yeah. I suddenly thought of an episode of the Drew Carey show that we watched together that you felt very strongly about. And it was the one where Drew Carey wins a contest where he can either choose a million dollars or the Batmobile. I don't remember feeling strongly about it, but yeah, okay. What, what, oh, what, I, what I, happened? I remember, I remember your reaction that, so. to it very distinctly. Wow. Um, and he chooses the Batmobile. Right. And then he drives around in the Batmobile as the old Adam West... 66 Batmobile, and everyone's yelling at him at what an idiot he is that he didn't take the million dollars. And he's like, but I wanted, it's a Batmobile. Mm. I want, the Batmobile makes me happy. And then everybody harangues him so much, as I recall. Um, He he can't enjoy the Batmobile anymore. I don't remember how it ends. Anyway, but everyone's, you know, saying he's crazy for not taking the million dollars. And I remember you being like, but it's what he wants. The Batmobile is what he wants. He should, get, right. he should take the Batmobile. It makes him happy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's an open question whether you could buy the Batmobile or a replica for less than a million dollars. <laughs> you wouldn't have it right then. You wouldn't be able to drive it off the lot, you know. Right. I don't know. I, uh, I, I was thinking of you in, in that episode when thinking about, mm. like, here's, here's this guy who all he wants is to sit in his booth, compose his one paragraph so he can... Say it on the phone, and his friend can tell him afterwards on the phone that he sounded awesome. Right. And that's what he wants. And that's what he wants. I mean, how I feel about that now... Well, um, do you think it's as healthy as the Batmobile? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I certainly understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand both Paul and the Batmobile thing thoroughly. Here's the thing. Since having kids, your perspective obviously changes, right? You go, oh, um, it's not about me anymore. I mean, I have to obviously keep myself. I obviously still have wants, desires, and goals, and I still need to do that. I still need to put my own oxygen mask on before I help others. It's still, I still got to think about my own mental health. Yeah. It, that's that that is a responsibility in order to serve my family, right? Yeah. Um, but you also realize it's not about me. Uh, I have now your priorities change, and, and and so forth. Drew Carey in that episode did not have children. Here's where I think the discord lays. I think that in his context. His want and and desires were valid. Drew Carey. I think, I think if uh, in a parent in a more parental one, that would not be the mistake people make. I think is to say, well, you should want to be a parent, so your priori- priorities are different. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. That's the problem. 
And because no, you shouldn't. If, if you're building a life that you, if you, you know, if, if, if your goal is to have kids and to build a foundation for life, then yeah, maybe you want to think about how you're going to do that with, uh, and, and, and if the million dollars and the Batmobile, how that plays into it. <laughs> but if you don't, that's fine. Um, I think that's fine. Uh, I, I, that, and that's completely valid. So if the, I, I, I think, I think the problem is fundamentalism, fundamentalism in either respect. I think if you are only say, I just want, all I care about is the, the sensation, the, the pleasure, the comfort, the emotional comfort I get and security from stuff and things. I don't actually care about anything else. That's dangerous. Yeah. Um, but, um, understandable, but dangerous to say i only care about what other people tell me i care should care about and do not take any stock of my own feelings that's also dangerous mm, mm-hmm. so so really it's just emotional honesty about how you what you're feeling how you want to live and um the ability to prepare for whatever that is going to be that's my feelings now <laughs> sounds like you've done a lot of growing up since 1999 since I was like, but he wants it. <laughs> but it, but really, have my, I grown my, up that much since I don't know? I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. Well, you always were kind of were grown up. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do think in his context that was fine. If he had a bunch of mouths to feed, that is obviously not fine unless he thinks he can get more for it. From a, you know, <laughs> more than a million dollars for the Batmobile. Unless he's a red croc who I, can franchise it. Yeah. I did set sit. I had the opportunity to sit in Adam West's Batmobile. Oh yeah, the, one, the George Barris's shop is just up from my house. Now you know where I live. <laughs> house, my apartment. But I've been living near George Barris's custom shop, and got to interview George Barris before he passed away, while working on a bat- documentary for the Batmobile, for all the Batmobiles. And there was a point when I took a picture of my friend Rob in the. In the Batmobile. It's a great picture of him. He's so excited. Hmm. And he said, do you want to get into it? And I literally was had that, I don't want to bother anybody. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to bother anybody. And they're like, get in it. He says it's fine. Get in it. And so I did. I sat in it. And he took a picture of me. And I looked at it. And I literally had this thought. I should never have sex with anyone again. <laughs> <laughs> because no one should have to endure this guy. Oh, no. I felt so terrible about just who... For some reason, I looked at it, and I just went... Um, I just didn't... I weirdly didn't like myself, weirdly. Hmm. I, did, I wasn't really depressed, but I was looking at it, looking at... Like, it's so cool to sit... I mean, I, I was sitting in the Batmobile not allowing myself to think it was fun. Hmm. Even though it was. And now when I, I've walked down the street and looked through the window and the, the back of the Batmobile is pressed up against the window, but it's all, there's too much drawings on it so you can't see the whole thing. You can only see like the turbine and the little bat chute packs that are on the back. But there it is. And uh, I look at it and I go, man, if I could sit in that again, I'd really take it in. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd take it in and live in the moment instead of being embarrassed that I wanted to sit in it. Aww. You know? And so, you know, embrace 
you know, you know, it's really important to 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 find what makes you happy, and 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 it's okay as long as you're not hurting anyone. That's fine. Well, you know, Paul, the big fan, he embraces. I meant to say, uh, if we were hanging out in CRC with our friend Jim Elwinger, who also listens to the entirety hey, of our episodes. Hello, Jim. He would he would make me laugh by calling this the big fan. <laughs> I noticed you did so, earlier. You want to go call this the, you, the big fan? You want to go see the big fan? He could Jim always, would come in and say, I don't know if he, anyone want to watch Schindler's List real quick? I don't know if he <laughs> understands how much he could always make me laugh by saying the word the. Nobody has ever <laughs> said the word the funnier than Jim Announcer. It is a uh, former guest on the show. He is a true comedic powerhouse in that respect. <laughs> powerhouse. Powerhouse. Uh, and His other funny of the early mid-90s, another of his... Funny treatments of movie titles. The Santa Claus E. Starring Tim <laughs> I Allen. Think of, I still think about that to this day. And then uh, <laughs> whenever we saw, we'd watch Conan. And whenever there was a commercial for Just Cause, he'd say, why did you kill her? Just Cause. <laughs> he said it more of a Mr. Announcer way. I wish he were still with us. Anyway. Yeah, too bad he died. <laughs> Before we no, mention we him gotta, on the show, we got to cut that part out. Dude, no, we can't. Got to cut that out. That can't be in there. Uh, when uh, a coworker uh, of mine uh, left to go work somewhere else and move away, as a joke, his staff dedicated the uh, his name's let's say Kevin Bloopins. It's not Kevin Bloopins, but now outside the office, they dedicated. They surprised him by dedicating the Kevin Bloopins Memorial Picnic Table. No, oh, yeah. <laughs> with in, with a little uh, plate, and it says he liked lunch. <laughs> That's beautiful. And then I had to point out this is going to stop being funny someday, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We could have you guys could have said something more about him than just that he liked lunch. That's pretty yeah insensitive, don't you think? Well, he wasn't memorial. Is funny now because he's alive. The only reason I said that was because my favorite Jimmy Glick moment was when he my I love his interview of Elijah Wood and this was before Paul Newman passed away okay this was before he passed away okay and he said of Elijah Wood he goes look at those piercing blue eyes it's kind of like having Paul Newman back with us except without all that burden with all that masculinity and talent <laughs> but I just love when you people make reference to someone being you know it's like having him back when it's like he's still here <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to bring us back to a topic yeah. that came up before, and I, I, I shoot it away. I want to bring it back. <laughs> Eroticism and about. sex in this movie. Yeah. Big fan. The big fan. Uh, so the first bit of eroticism we get is, the, is these close-ups of... Quantrell Bishop's nipples in on the poster on Paul's wall, yeah. right? And this uh, the cut of his physique. We get like these fantasy sequences of him on the darkened playing field with the intense stadium lights on him, dripping sweat. Mm-hmm. This fantasy that he's he's kind of like a 
deity figure, but he's kind of something else. Mm-hmm. Physical specimen, something. When uh, Paul is done listening to his radio show, he just does a little quick J-O, a little quick jerk off mm-hmm. under his blanket. He's feeling good. He's feeling empowered because his friend liked what he said. So he's feeling like he's got some power. Then that, okay. It's almost Time like... Do that. Mm, what else happened? Okay, I got to take care of that before I go to sleep. <laughs> right. Something that's it, then taken away from him later. Right. We can't, we can't do that because all that's weighing on his mind. I forget. What was the thing that happened before that that he wasn't able to? It, it, it's when Philadelphia Phil reveals his identity, I think. Is it? Because oh. it's, it's shot from over the shoulder down the, down yeah. the blanket and he's trying to jerk off and he can't. And he says, fucking asshole. Yes. <laughs> exactly. He's disempowered. For me, is the biggest laugh of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I mean, the 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 key. I mean, I don't even think the "I can't tell you how sick I am" part is. I wouldn't even call that a key dialogue part. When you see the rest of the movie, it feels like it's going to be. But then the one the lines that stick out in my mind more than anything are, "I was bothering him." You didn't have to be mean. And then when he gets arrested, sorry. <laughs> And then that fucking asshole part, yeah. And then, of course, the final line. But, like, those are the lines that really stick out as... But what is the, what is the role of, of sex in this movie? Like, I'm really taken this time, and I think it's one of the brilliant moments of the, of the movie, is when they go to the strip club. Right. Very good job. This is excellent direction of showing nudity in a strip club and like it not being appealing at all like usually yeah you know it the 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 camera work does such a great job of capturing very subtly that these two characters are not here for the girls right they don't care about yeah. the girls right they're not they're right they're, even before like their back is to the strippers and you know right. the the uh, the one dancer like is sits on their lap and is trying to get their attention and they can't take their eyes off of Quantrell. Right. Like even before you get to that point, it's like they're, they're, they're no, they they have tunnel vision here. They're here for Quantrell Bishop, and then just like their cluelessness that they <laughs> in the strip club, they can't take their eyes off him and they order him a drink and have it sent over to him. Right. Never like it's funny because it's juice. Because that's all they have money left for. Because <laughs> after they paid the cover and the nine dollars each for the Bud Light, but but just like the way that that they're like trying to court Quantrell right, Bishop, yeah. they follow him in, into the bathroom. Same way, like, same way that he's going to follow Philadelphia Phil into the bathroom at the end of the oh, movie. I didn't even think about that. You know, yeah, a bookend. Where he does that to emasculate him, he's doing, he's like pursuing Quantrell Bishop romantically. Yeah. Stalking him in his car, which is also echoed in Cruise, where the Cruise is cruising yeah. for girls, where you, you drive around and you follow them until they indicate that they want to hook up with you. Hmm. What it, what, what was, how was that registering for you? Because I, I couldn't, it was all there, like it kept popping up. Yeah. 
in these ways, it it didn't really. It seems too simple to say his obsession with Quantrell is like a substitute for romance. Like he's not mm. sort of like the, the, the real world take would be, well, he's given up on hope of ever having a romantic relationship. And so where there's a, an emotional need and a, a hole that exists there, he's filling it with other stuff. That yeah. seems, I, that seems a little too neat to me or tidy. I, I don't know how else to express it though. I think that's certainly there. I don't think that's all of it. You know, I mean, that's, that's, um, I mean, I mean, the, uh, something to tell me he would never go to a strip club any regard, regardless. Yeah. Not this one, not things that are ones that are cheaper. He just wouldn't go. Um, and like, it's not like, oh, wow, this is a new world. And oh, look at all this. Oh, wait, focus. No, I got focus. He's just literally, it's blinders. It's like, None of this matters. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually liked the, the clinicalness of what the, the person who was asking for a dance sitting down in their laps and then not taking it personal, just getting up and going to the next right. person. And as, it's like, as soon as like, they're, this is the, yeah, I'm not getting any money done. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, it's just like this. Would, and it's not, it's not offense. They're not taking offense either. Yeah. I like that. Cause I feel like a lot of movies would say, well, why are you wasting the, you know, but it's just like, yeah, no, this is the job. I sit down and say, no money. Okay. Moving on. And then moving to the next one. Yeah. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat. And that's just the job. I, I think it, it was, it was to show, I mean, I, like, like you said, I, I don't think that is the only thing at play here. I think that, uh, the supplication of, uh, of any sort of sexual role or prowess in the movie, I, in his lives, I think that like, that just like, this is what matters. This is what I get to be. I mean, I don't even get to go to the games, and now I get to be in the presence of. Have, have you ever been like done that where you've crossed paths with somebody who carries weight in your in your, I guess in your fandom is I guess another way to say it, and then you kind of feel because your paths have crossed, I, that something should come of this. It can't just paths cross and that was him. It has or to her. be a meaningful. There yeah. has. To, Moment. There has to be meaning to this, and so then you kind of force some kind of meaning. It's like I have like it suddenly. There's no opportunity here, but because it happened, there has to be an opportunity, right? I have to make an opportunity here to like express some sort of meaning to be. And I've been in that where I'm like, oh, I should I should say some things. Like, what am I going to say? I don't even get say. I don't even go through like if I go to see a show and there's the autograph line. I don't go to that because it's like, what am I going to say? The only time I've ever done that was with cinematic Titanic to see Joel Hodson and <laughs> Trace Bulo and Frank, Mary Jo Pale and Jay Wilde. I've done that. And with super ego and that's it. I don't go to any other autograph lines. Um, Probably a good idea. I really, cause uh, it's just like, I, I, it's like the Truman show. It'd be like, I'd be faced with just how much this was a one way relationship, you know? Yeah. It's a really weird thing. I've had it just with like people whose podcasts I listen to, gamers. <laughs> um, yeah. You're in this weird asymmetrical relationship where they're meeting you for the first time, but they have lived inside your head for yeah. years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so you felt like you spent all this time with them, and you know like they have no reason to give a shit about you. 
Yeah. You and it becomes infinitely clear. You would like to express like how much their work has meant to you and like how much it has enriched your life, but there's no way to do that without making them feel worse. This is kind of like you know yeah. the, the sorry I, I I don't want to bother anybody, but it really is like you can't. They've heard it before, probably. Yeah. Maybe not. Now, Ke- now, Kevin Pollack once said, said several times that I like this. He says, yeah, people in who actors and performers and comedians, we hate being told that, they, that we're loved. <laughs> people, yeah, we hate it when people come up to us and say, yeah, we love you. <laughs> Don't like getting that feedback. And so, you yeah. know, it's like, it's like, of course you do. Everyone likes to be told they're loved. But that what becomes starkly clear is like you want to tell them the fun you want to communicate to make this matter you want to communicate just how deeply and that's where it gets weird that's where yeah. you realize that there's a disconnect when like you have this need and they like like the autograph line they know they're there that you've come all these people have come to see your show they know it they, they, and in fact, they're banking on it, hopefully, because then they'll make more money. They'll get return shows. They'll, they'll get validation. And, and they, they're banking on it. But then it still gets weird, you know, and when you say just how much it means to you. It's a very odd relationship. Yeah. There's probably something. Well, I don't know. All I know is um, for anything creative I've done, for any feedback I've gotten, I've never trusted it unless there was some bad, ne- some negative criticism in there too. Exactly. Like it has to be seasoned <laughs> in do. there. Because <laughs> if, if there isn't, I just t- toss it all away. I'm like, I don't, I don't trust it. But then when yeah. I meet someone, when I want to communicate how much I love someone, why would I freaking, can you imagine the nerve of starting to critique them while you're telling them? I know. <laughs> but, I know. Well, you know, this part was a little, you know... <laughs> Right, like what? And I, the thing is, I think people do that. By the way, just out of the, I know the my audio on this podcast is bad, and I think I've discussed this maybe somewhere else. Um, but like the the thing that I can't, the thing that I hate more than anything when I, as a podcast listener, not creator, but as a listener, the thing I hate is how many podcast hosts have to sit th- sit there and feel the need. To apologize to all the people who've written in that told them their audio sucks <laughs> and, that, and how to do their own audio. And here's the equipment you should get. And here's the thing. And a lot of them are like, well, thank you because this isn't my area of expertise. So I appreciate the feedback and I can work on that. But, you know, to see YouTubers, be it, you know, you know bloggers or, or podcasters or ASM artists and all this stuff, to first set out an s- apology for the sound. It's like, this is yeah. free. Right. Who, if you're complaining, you're just mean. <laughs> it's like, why, do, why would someone write? It's like the letters to the, dear editor of this magazine, I want to say that the cover photo for this magazine was not as pretty as I wanted it to be. <laughs> it's like, it just seems like the guy, you know, I hate it. I just, that's the worst part of podcast listening to me. <laughs> My version of that, when they say they're going to start releasing on a more regular schedule. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You want to. I know you want to. There's a reason you haven't been. If you're releasing it on a, if you are releasing it on a regular schedule, you're never talking about how you're releasing it on a regular schedule. Yeah. Because you're already doing it. Yeah. That's like the kiss of death. You're never going to see that podcast again. 
But getting back to um, the sexualizing of Quantrell, like, I felt like, I honestly felt like it was just enough. Uh, Of course, with everything that's on my mind, I was suddenly worried about the the racial component of this kind of um, objectification. But I kind of feel like there wasn't, other than the, I mean, from my viewing, or at least how I made the viewing okay with me, maybe, (laughs) was with the exception of maybe the um, uh, aggrandizement of his particular form versus Patton's. It's like, it is kind of this fantasy element of if I could be, be the prime specimen that I am not. You are what I am not. I, I remember I told you my, my story about The Rock. I probably said it on this podcast several times. I've been yeah. around The Rock much. And, and I, I just, you know, when I found out from his stunt double that he's, oh, he's 240. And at the time, I, he weighs 240. Right, right. And at the time I went, I'm 240. And he's only an inch or two taller than me. So everything that's on him, that's muscle, <laughs> on me, is not. <laughs> 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 and God, how I wish I was 240 now. Anyway, but like... It's um, stored movie soundtrack memory. <laughs> there you go. So there's value. But yeah, no, that, that, the, the posters on the wall, like not just like a kid, but like almost like Farifosity, the, um, the, the power, the, the, uh, the, the potency derives from his association with the Giants, with Contrell, with his idolization... It's it uh, is all too. I mean it. I mean, here's the thing: people who have regular sexual relationships worship sports fans, worship for sports athletes. It's true. It's true. Um, but I think I think certainly such a fascination would be power would would, would basically serve as bomb to the lack of one, right? I would, yeah, it would take on a greater meaning. To your point, it would take on a greater meaning because you have this other void in your life that does not. I, yeah, fulfilled. I think it's just in the human nature that you have to, you have to find meaning somewhere, and so you're gonna find it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna make it, and that can take you to some dark places. And, then, and I think I think that moment when he gets the headache after seeing that his plant that he has gotten Quantrell back on track and playing with the team, the headache he gets is that pang of, but now what have, what have I sacrificed for that? Mm. Right? And he's still unwilling to face it. And then he gets derision from his folks. And like he feels like a hero. He feels empowered because he did, he accomplished what he, he accomplished and preserved what he loves. And then he's getting shit from the police. He's getting shit from the uh, from his family, and getting shit from uh, Philadelphia Phil about. And why wasn't it just why wasn't it just Phil Adelphia? I mean, come on, make me say Phil <laughs> twice, <laughs> fucking asshole. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like, you know, all that um, uh, uh, thing, and then and then his only defense is I wanted to sacrifice that. I I wanted to. I devalued myself because I value them more. I was uh, bothering. Yeah, them. yeah. That's why that toilet scene is so. I think is really great. 
where he where he runs into his brother's taking a shit. Another and person like, he follows um, into the bathroom. Yeah, he's he's right. He's he's constantly following people into the vulnerable zone. What is it with this? Mm. Yeah, maybe there's more there than I. So again, yeah, I think like, he, he bursts in the bathrooms. Hmm. His brother Jeff might have been bursting in the bathroom too. I mean, <laughs> he wasn't finished. Right. So, the reason this movie popped into my head now here in 2020 was because of this Kenosha vigilante shooting. So we had the police mm-hmm. police shot. Oh, gosh. There's been so many of these cases, I can't keep the names straight. Jacobs? Jacob Blake. Jacob, Jacob Blake. Blake in Kenosha. There were protests. Protests. Some of them are violent. Buildings burned down. Uh, someone, was it an alderman, a councilman, like sends out a call for a vigilantes, citizens forced to come and protect the city. And so the 17-year-old... Oh, did he? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know he was responding this, to a call. I thought he just this, No, this came. was an organized thing. This wasn't like a lone wolf thing. So it's not a perfect parallel. But the idea that this 17-year-old kid from across the state line, Antioch, Illinois, would travel up to Kenosha armed with his AR-15, feel the need to defend another city, someone else's uh, car dealership, right? And two people end up dead as a result. And one handy, and one dismembered. One dismembered. And then there was another shooting in, in Portland. Circumstances were kind of different. But just this idea, this like the... this. One of the things, among the many terrors um, terrifying me these days, is this idea of um, a rise in vigilantism and then those vigilantes becoming folk heroes. Something that happens doesn't happen to Big Fan, a parallel that doesn't make to Taxi Driver. It got me thinking about people who, as a way of forming their own identity, are latching on to something else so strongly that they would feel the need to do something that extreme, right? Like this 17-year-old kid, I'm not even going to say his name, like he wasn't defending himself when he went to Kenosha. He was defending his idea of something, right? And I I would also make the argument, and I obviously don't, not in his head, I don't know, but I'd make the argument that you don't cross state lines to go to an entirely other city with a gun, to protect something you know nothing about, somebody's car dealership or stuff. You go because you're hoping to shoot somebody. You're hoping you, can, you're hoping you can do something. And usually that doing something isn't being a deterrent. Whatever it was, um, it was, to me it's akin to sitting outside Shea Stadium with the game going on inside and feeling like you're connected to that, you yeah. know? Um, and we're driving to well, Philadelphia and uh, doing this extreme thing that right. Paul does. Thank goodness Paul had some good judgment. He only put paintballs in the... He only took a paint gun, right? He, he wanted to emasculate. He wanted to do that. He didn't go so far as murder. 
You didn't but go so far. It, that's what it got me. It's like, is this thinking but of... But it feels just as deranged, it does. doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah. You... We talked about it before. When you identify that strongly with something, why? Why are you doing it? Like, what, what meaning are you trying to make in your life that isn't already there? Why are you so driven by that opposition? You need that opponent to, to mm-hmm. face off against. Yeah. Because it feels like there's a wrong in the universe that needs to be righted. And then you put that on, in, in the case of uh, Paul, on Philadelphia Phil, in the case of this other person whose name we don't want to mention, is um, somebody. The, the left. Right. The rioters. The Right. They won't even have a... a a name attached to it like Philadelphia Phil necessarily. The more amorphous it is and faceless it is, the the the, the even better. though they never had a conversation, they at least heard each other's own voice talking. There was at least some weird like connection between something human, you know? And on top of that, add in the fact that this guy he the man he's dedicated to abuses him, beats the shit out of him, fucks him up, and he still won't act out of his own self-interest. Still stays loyal to this guy. Anyway, that um, that made me think of That's, this movie. And then I look at the poster, which I had forgotten. What do I see? Is Pet Oswald's face half blue, half red. I'm like, was Robert Siegel writing this movie for 2020? <laughs> like, Yeah. Like yeah. it seems, it seems if it, this movie came out now, the way it'd be written about would be very different from the way it was written about in two thousand nine. Yeah. And also, I think what's really important in the poster is the expression on Patton's face. It's kind of dead. <laughs> dead. Yeah. It's dead. It's not. He's not like rah rah or like blind enthusiasm or fundamental. He's like just. Uh, uh, he's. Dead inside. Giants just lost. It's big fan. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much. The thing about that kid who went to, who I don't know why they keep saying allegedly because we see him doing it. Maybe it's because it's Son. we see a shape that looks like him doing it. Maybe that's why we keep saying allegedly. Um, when you know, I haven't seen video of the first shooting that prompted everyone to chase him. But we certainly see the second. Maybe there is the first one. I, I haven't seen it. I it's don't know if I can. from a distance. Right. There are other videos that were taken of him before. And granted, they're out of context. I can't speculate what's going on in his, in his head but or for whatever. But there's a scene of him, of two girls fighting in a parking lot that somebody is, two high school girls or whatever, uh, being filmed by other high schoolers and someone's filming them, look, they're getting in a fight. And then he jumps in and just is like a tiger let out of the cage and just starts punching and punching and punching one of the girls. I hadn't heard that. There is rage in him that just wanted to come out. And, and I think there's even, I might've heard of another video. I haven't watched yet. I don't, I don't want to watch anymore, but like, I mean, this is a this is not a singular <laughs> incident. Well, his mom drove him to Ken- to Kenosha, 
He didn't drive himself. What? Really? Yeah. She was armed too. So I didn't know that. So he's got support from his family. Oh yeah. So you can see how healthy that can make things. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Maybe he does wow. need someone complaining about the stains on his underpants. All right. Let's leave on that happy note. <laughs> but I'm, thank you for bringing this up because uh, for this this movie up. I thought um, it's relevant. And in in a in a more fundamental way than just addressing political issues, it it certainly can it leads to more you know internal thought about why we pack these political issues with all all of this. And so yeah, good call. Thank you. So I guess so. Uh, uh, despite having thought of this, what else have you been watch? Have you been watching lately? You have any recommendations? Oh yes, uh, finally saw Hustlers. Speaking of strip clubs, oh. but a strip club that um, is depicted to be sexy and uh, in a way that says, like, sexy is good, but then also um, Hustlers, I don't know, I didn't read a lot about it. I know it had a lot of buzz and people loved uh, Jennifer Lopez's performance, rightly so. It, it's, it's got a lot of good cast in it. I watched Hustlers, I'm like, this is Goodfellas. <laughs> Except, I maybe think it's better than Goodfellas. Yeah, I'm not a huge Goodfellas. It's not as flashy advocate. as Goodfellas, but it has some definite. It had a couple of like I thought. It seemed to me like very conscious reference points to Goodfellas. I thought it had much better like moral clarity mm. than Goodfellas does. It's funny. I watched Goodfellas again not too long ago, and then um, went back and watched the. Siskel and Ebert review of it and it was funny listening to them like all these gangster movies have always glorified gangsters and made them look made the gangster life look attractive somehow this one doesn't at all these people look like scum these are it depicts them as completely amoral like it's the first gangster movie I can think of where nobody I didn't never wanted to be a gangster at once and I'm like wow that did not age well like <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> like when so you haven't seen Hustlers so there's one no, not yet. so when Ray Liotta walks across the street because the neighbors mm. harassed his wife walks across the street beats the guy in the face with the butt of his gun and then points the gun at the other guy like you get a charge out of that right it's horrifying yeah. but you get a charge like a visceral charge like oh man like you get juiced up by that scene and his wife literally gets sexually turned on by him doing it. And saying, hide this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And she says in the voiceover, it was a turn on. Yeah. In Hustlers, it mirrors that scene. But, like, there's no doubt, like, this is a low moment for this character. Mm. You know, this is anything that was supposed to be attractive about this lifestyle. Like, here's where we're going to show it's fucked up and... Right. priorities are out of whack and you're hurting the people you love and there's right. no like and it was a turn on like there, there you know it's right. it's like much clearer about here's where they thought it was attractive and here's where it, here was where it was all wrong here's where these were right. bad decisions and so maybe that's just being moralistic but if scorsese was trying to do what siskel and ebert thought he was doing he probably wasn't 
So Scorsese hung out with gangsters. He obviously <laughs> was attracted to the lifestyle. I think he does, did identify with Rio, Ray Liotta's character. Well, I, I, I think I think a lot of good. I, I think like The Godfather and Goodfellas, all these things that like show. Look at all these. Ter- I mean, they are. If they're cautionary tales, they are not taken as such by many of the fans that 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 love it. Like they just they want to be that after watching it. I mean, you and know, like, like I like movies with bad guys. Like oh, I yeah. like crime movies. You know, Reservoir Dogs. Who didn't want to wear cool sunglasses and a skinny right. tie after seeing that movie? You know, I don't think like Goodfellas isn't. It doesn't feel honest about the way it's. These people are hurting people. I completely right? agree. Yeah. Now, I completely agree. That particular scene, however, I mean, as a viewer, I watch it and go, it's potent because you got a guy who solves his problems with violence and, and knows he's not going to suffer the repercussions from doing so. Mm-hmm. So it's an obvious tool. He feels possessive about his property being damaged, i.e. his wife. Yeah. So he goes over and asserts his dominance over these guys for, do, for damaging his property. It's taken by his wife as being a, fulfilling the role of protector. So the, the sexual charge of it for her is, is both frightening because of the power he holds, but also... You can see how it would be for her because it's like he's protecting his wife. Yeah, he's standing up and 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 sh- declaring her value, but to him, is he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and then giving her the responsibility to hide his criminal activity. <laughs> Here, take this. Hide this. Like, go throw your own gun in the river. You fucking. <laughs> Why is that her job? <laughs> oh, she's got to clean you know? up. And so, God. So yeah. So yeah. I'm 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 not the Goodfellas advocate. It's funny how I'm like all about Reservoir Dogs, but not Goodfellas. <laughs> um, I, I I feel like so. I honestly. I mean, I love Miller's Crossing. It's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Right. But I feel like the gangster movie, the reverence that's given to like Oscar-winning gangster movies, is like somehow we're validating. That we like something very base, and by l- raising it to a certain level, probably above what it deserves. I think Goodfellas has that moral clarity. I don't. I don't. Uh, sorry, Godfather. Um, G O. Okay, no. the letters start changing. Um, I think. I think. I don't think. I don't have that problem with Godfather. I think Godfather knows what it is. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to check out Hustlers. I'm excited for yeah, that. Yeah, I really... I've heard a lot of I them. really liked Hustlers a lot. How about you? What have you seen lately? Well, I have watched a lot since our last conversation. I, I let my Showtime free trial expire, so I had to pay for it. <laughs> but I was happy to do so because I got to, I got to watch um, Black Monday, season one and two, which is great. What is that? It's fantastic. Black Monday is a series... Um, uh, I'm one episode away from the end, um, but it's a series starring Don Cheadle and Regina Hall and Paul Shear and um, what's his name? The guy that plays Blair. I don't remember his name. And Casey William. It's a lot. It's honestly has a lot of the alt comedy people in it that we 
that I listen to quite a bit and enjoy their work of. So there's a lot of kinship there. But it's basically set in the 80s about <clears throat> the crash that happened on Wall Street that no one really knows why it happened. Mm. And they're giving a explanation with this fictional um, trading group run by the first the first um, black-owned um, trading group run by Don Cheadle okay. and Regina Hall. And it's, it's, it's hilarious, it's profane, it's highly dramatic, it's really good. Um, the second... Um, season has became a little wandering in the middle and kind of started doing the thing that Justified did that I love Justified but they would set up all these complex writerly structural imaginations and then realize they were running out of time (laughs) and then they just have a character blatantly say it and then ruin any sort of like build to Uh, something cool happening and you're like oh that's lazy it's like the Watchmen series which was genius until the last episode and it's like hmm Let's not do three more episodes. Let's just do one. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Oh, I, well, that doesn't help me. I've only seen the first couple, and I keep saying, i got to go back and watch them more. And you I should. Haven't. It's, it's brilliant yeah. up until the last episode. The best thing I've seen, I think I've seen the best movie of the year so far mm-hmm. of this year, and that's the documentary Feels Good Man, which is uh, about yeah. the... Um, we actually t- were discussing this on Facebook, actually, after I posted something. Um, and I am, uh, I take your concerns to, well. Um, I think they are addressed in the movie. There's the Pepe the Frog, um, the yeah. cartoon. It's and how it, Nazis it, it's like it. The, how Nazis like it. Didn't start that it. way. And it didn't start that way. It was co opted by the, the, you know, the 4chan. You know, the, the the people that lived the neat lifestyle in EET of basically living in your mom's basement and um, you were cleaning after yourself. I forget what neat stands for. But what and how this co-opting of this led to white supremacy and how it was embraced by the Trump campaign and may have had a bigger part in getting him elected than we think had previously thought. But what it did do, and, and offer some, some kind of hope there at the end, but for the most part, it's, it's a fascinating dive into a world that frightens me to no end. Yeah. And really scares the me. fever swamps. Um, and that know, was before QAnon. Yeah. So, like, because also I was very, I'm very surprised by my even try, wanting to see this movie at all. Because the very, just looking at Pepe the Frog before I even knew anything about it, first time I ever saw it, it's really un. It's just ugly and disconcerting to it look is at. Ugly. I can't stand looking at it. And yet I just watched a whole movie about it. And I, it's the best movie of the year, in my opinion. I think comedian Emily Heller has an uh, interview in it. She. Is referring. They're talking about uh, someone at one of the you know neat lifestyle guys was talking about how the um, when the 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 smoke emoji one came up with with Pepe putting his chin up hand up to his chin and with that smug kind of like um, watching someone suffering and holding back a laugh kind of look mm. um, was really empowering to them and felt that really kind of changed blew everything open and it cuts to her saying. To Emily Heller saying, "Yeah, when when I saw that that with when he's with Pepe's like hand up by his 
mouth, it really just showed a smugness. It was a really, it was really ugly in that it showed like a smugness and a being above a conversation being held about decency. And then it cuts to Trump for the first time in the movie <laughs> coming down the escalator. And it's, it's like, yeah, this is, this is it. Um, it's a fantastic movie. Definitely check it out. It's on, I just watched it on Alamo On Demand, but it's on iTunes and um, Fandango Now, wherever you get, wherever you stream your movies. Awesome. I will check that out. If you haven't seen Better Call Saul Season 5, one of the most brilliant things I've seen on television in a while, The Outsider on HBO, again, with the exception of the last episode, like the best thing I've seen um, about, definitely about grief. Um, I, and Ben Mendelsohn and Jason Bateman and Mayor Willingham are all, and um, uh, Cynthia Erivo put in the best performances you're going to see on television. Outside of Rhea Sehorn from Better Saul Call Saul, who deserved a fucking nomination, that is just it's still that's angering me to this. Uh, uh, so I also watched Frozen Two and really enjoyed it, and I watched National Treasure, which I didn't expect. We're trying to find things that my son would actually like to watch, <laughs> and um, and uh, I expected that to be terrible. It was a lot of fun. I, I didn't. I did not expect that. <laughs> Frozen Two made me laugh. Okay, a couple of quick observations about Frozen Two. I wanted to know after your your essays. I wanted. To know. All right, Elsa. I don't understand the government structure of their little kingdom <laughs> where there's no line of succession apparently, or I don't know who like. Whenever they have to go off an adventure, there's no local resident. Like, ready to step in and assume responsibility. They're always handing it off to some foreigner who just showed up. <laughs> in both Frozen 1 and 2. And then they go off to wherever, I've, I've you know, the land of the yeah. fairies and elves and whatnot of the north. And they realize what they need to do is destroy this dam. And they're like, I don't need to discuss this with the locals and find out what the environmental impact's going to be. I'm just going to do it. Well, I don't have to see if they've given up waiting for me and gone back to their homes. <laughs> right. Right? Like, That's what I was Maybe they're of. dependent on this dam now. It's been here for a while. Like, <laughs> you, know, you might be destroying like a whole ecosystem down there. Like, might want to do a survey first, but nope. But it was a wrong that needed to be. Lead the rock monster over here. All right, enough of that. Enough of this. Enough of us. I usually do this, but wait, how can people get in touch with us if they have a big fandom of us? Didn't set that one up right before I thought of it. Well, first, don't buy any paint guns, but you can contact us at youwatcheditwrong at happypanic.net, spelled correctly. Or you can go to our Facebook page at, is it You Watched It Wrong with a U? Which was that just the Twitter? Uh, no, that's Twitter. No. Facebook is also yeah. correct. You can also go to Facebook, uh, look, looking up You Watched It Wrong, or on Twitter with uh, You Watched It Wrong with the letter U, because, I don't know, someone else thought of it first, maybe? At You Watched It Wrong. Actually, here's something I was thinking of. Maybe we should give someone, uh, our listeners, the ability to prepare for the next episode 
so that we can, so they can listen to it the moment it comes out. Oh well, since it's your choice, what will be what will we be discussing next episode? Next episode, we're going to be discussing 2018's feature film, The Oath, written, directed, and starring Ike Barinholtz. You can find it on Hulu. Not 1998's The Pledge, starring mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson, which nope, I <laughs> thought was called The Oath. There's also another movie I think that came out in 2018 called The Oath or maybe 2019. So um, if you see a terrible picture of uh, a turkey with a knife in it and Tiffany Haddish and Ike Barinholtz there, that's the one. Or a slightly better one with Tiffany Haddish waving waving a flag and Ike Barinholtz like sucking on a broken pen. I think this is a – I can't wait for Siggy to see this. I saw this in the theater, and I own it, and uh, I can't wait for him to see it so that we can either discuss its merits or maybe lack thereof. <laughs> or, or um, This could be another Passengers. It could be another Passengers. It could be someone... Who, I could be seeing more nuance in it than... Um, than I'm capable of? No, 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 no. I, like, like, it's possible. I, I guess... I, the thought was was that I, I was showing some scenes to a colleague at work one day, and they and he said the dialogue is a little ham fisted, and I'm like, no, I actually I think that's the brilliance of it. If you look at, there's a lot going on in there, even though it's kind of blunt, but you just have to see it. I want to know, but like um, honestly, to tell you the truth, given that our country is going kind of the way that the movie kind of has it be, I kind of hope that its ending is what we have. Are we the turkey with the knife in it, or are we the pen getting sucked on? (laughs) Well, when you put it that way, (laughs) I know what I'll choose. Please (laughs) cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for choosing. No, you gotta you gotta leave it in there because I'm gonna reference it. Well, thank you for choosing to listen to you watched it wrong, where we discuss the big fan. But if you listen to this while in your parking. <laughs> if you, bleh. they're outside our house. Yeah, I'm listening right now. Well, if you listen to this while sitting outside, you watch it wrong. Stadium, with your iPhone hooked up to your car battery and the engine running, so you can see the download progress bar. Then you watched it wrong. Yeah, I did it too. You did it last episode. I did it too. We're back, and we're going to the phones. Albert in Beverly Hills, what you broadcasting? I don't know. Is it me? The Dodgers don't seem to have their hearts in it. Am I responsible for that? For them having no motivation? I'm only one man. There's not a lot I can do. I go and I cheer, and you know, I I raw once in a while. How's that going to translate into victory? The whole transactional nature of this system baffles me. How much do I have to raw and shake my little whatever it is I bought for $129 so that they win? That's what I want to know. Not knowing makes me very nervous. I try the beer, it doesn't work. The pretzel works a little better, but now I'm doughy around the middle. I leave the game dejected and less appealing. Don't I have the right to expect that the effort I put into cheering be reciprocated with a victory? No? Okay. I don't know what to tell you, Albert. Sometimes you just got to follow your muse. Or maybe not. 
Emo from Downers Grove, lay some platitudes on us. Oh, hello, sports dog. Growing up, I wasn't someone who participated in sports. The only time I ever caught a ball, it was quite by accident. I was so embarrassed, I immediately put down the nice man's testicle. Doesn't sound like you made a good impression. Now we're going to Mitch from who knows where. How are you going to blow our minds? Do I know a lot about sports? No. Sometimes I wonder why is a basketball made of rubber and not a nice wicker weave? It should be retained at least. A baseball? It's a contradiction in terms. The base is not a ball or vice versa. If it were, everyone would always be out. And tags would always be safe. Certainly a unique perspective on things there, Mitch. Hey, here on the line, we've got the Bammer from Lake Pequod. Uh, um, I just wanted to let your listeners know about a voicemail I got from my mother today. She said, hey, kid, it's your mom. Your father got us tickets to tomorrow's Hooverville Bull Weevils match without checking with me first. And now we're out $27 unless we find a weave head, which is what they call themselves, to take it off our hands. And I'm just sick about it because I really wanted to go to that game instead of having this life-saving surgery that I hadn't told you about until just now. But, you know, if we don't find a buyer soon, then it's just God imposing his will that he'd rather us go to that game instead of to the hospital. So, you know, bye. Oh, Mommy, no, no, no. Um, so, does anyone want to play God and buy these tickets?